Welcome to the Monday Lorians, a casual podcast discussing all things Star Wars on, you guessed it, a Monday. We explore the stories, the themes, characters, and have a lot of fun along the way. My name's Jake. And I'm Niall. And with the upcoming release of the Disney Plus limited series, Obi-Wan Kenobi, we thought we'd take a look back at Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. We'll take a trip down memory lane with our first watch, discuss the story, themes, maybe some of the problems with it, and of course, all the wonderful memes that have come out of it. Uh, but joining us today, making his Monday Lorian's debut, bringing a safe and secure society, is Rob Ailing. Hello there. I had to get that Hello, in there. Hello, Rob. Welcome to the Monday Lorian's. You've, you've been on each of our shows except this one this is, so this I, is have, <laughs> I feel like i've completed it finally i've You've completed, completed i've yeah. completed all podcasts not just not just yeah i've completed the podcast that's that's the, we'll go with that we'll go with that we'll go with we'll that. go with that um but it's lovely to finally be on um this podcast as you know i'm a fan of star wars um so it's it it was about time it was about time i, I was, it was i mean it's a good thing that you're a fan of star wars or else or this would be a very boring next five hours knowing us. I mean, it would have been awful if I just said I prefer Star Trek over Star Wars. I mean, has anyone oh. ever said that? I mean, has anyone oh. ever said that? Um, not on this show. I'm, pre- I'm sure there's probably... A, <laughs> not on this show. Not on this show. I'm sure there's people out there who said that, though. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I'm a Trek guy, too. I could talk about that. It would just be very confusing for the listeners, given the, the theme of this episode. I feel like all a thousand voices cried out and then sudden silence. It's like the destruction of Alderaan right there, me saying that one sentence. Um, I'll take it. Yeah, the listener's already like, get this guy off the uh, show. Like, do you know what? I'll say another thing. Two minutes uh, in. Do and you it's... know what? I'll say one more thing. I love The Last Jedi. So yeah, screw, you know, I'll take, you're, you're, I'll take yeah, that. Dude, you're in the right place. Well, there you go. You're in the there right you place. We're, yeah. we're all, uh, I think we're all Last Jedi lovers here. Uh, Good. That sounded wrong. But, um, but, well, speaking on that, you know, the listeners, they've heard me and Niall and Dave about our Star Wars love, where we come from a Star Wars. What about you, Rob? Where did you come into this series, this franchise, this world? What was your first sort of taste of it? So my first exposure to Star Wars was the the original VHS um, set. So I've still got the original. In fact, I could go and grab it over there, but it would just not make very exciting podcast um, listening, just rustling in the background. But there, I do have an, a, an original VHS copy of the um, unspecialized um, Star Wars. So all of it in its glory, where you, you have all the rough edges here and there, which you still have to remember is still pretty damn good you know like george didn't have to tamper with it but you know he did and you know it still is pretty epic but yeah my first exposure to star wars was very young with the vhs collection and you know i i did it in order i was in four five six and i was leading up to phantom menace and um and then attack of the clones and um of course revenge of the sith and 
I think I can honestly say that this was the first trilogy I ever saw in the cinema because most people would probably say that Lord of the Rings was their thing, but actually seeing the Star Wars trilogy was the the first thing for me. Although maybe you could say Toy Story because I'm you know big fan of Toy Story as well. But yeah, man, like um, I absolutely adored uh, A New Hope. I would watch. We we used to have a tradition in our household which was um, Star Wars Sunday. So we would literally watch Star Wars every single Sunday. So it would be A New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And it, so it's a holy day. Yeah, it is It is a holy day. Exactly. That was my church. Yes, we'll, we'll go with that. That was my church. Or I like to call cinema my therapy anyway. So if cinema, cinema is therapy, then yeah, being at home watching Netflix or VHS tapes or playing old school video games is, uh, is church. Or just pure laziness. You decide. Um, but yeah, I um, I absolutely... Depends on your point of view. <laughs> From a certain point of view. I um, think you're in uh, good territory here. Yeah, no, absolutely. But um, I love everything about Star Wars in terms of films, video games, TV shows. You name it. I love it. That's cool. And can I ask you, Rob, just because mm. I know you're like a, you're a filmmaker yourself. Is there any like part of Star Wars that's influenced your... You, the things you make is there anything that's kind of inspired you from star wars to go down this path um i think the philosophy of star wars is the big thing that i take away from it and i i think george lucas's um essence of storytelling is what i take forward in terms of uh, my own filmmaking career i i love the fact that it's essentially uh I, I, and i'm being careful as i say this a downplayed version of philosophy which is what star wars is essentially it's old school storytelling but with um at its core of it the psychological philosophical uh depth to it which is so accessible to um young audiences which george has been open to say you know these are action serials for kids you know but they did happen to target an older audience as well i mean no doubt it was because of the wonderful Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and of course the bloody good, handsome Han Solo as well. And um, yeah, and no uh, actor name, no. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, <laughs> Han Solo, Harrison Ford. As Kathleen course. Kennedy would tell you, you can you can, you can only have one yeah, Han yeah, Solo. You can only have one Han Solo, exactly. No, and um, of course you got Lando Calrissian as well, who is the smoothest mm. guy in the galaxy. Hello, what have we here? Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing that I carry through is just the epicness of storytelling and the depth of it that's uh, grounded within it as well. And I think just it's pure push for digital filmmaking in its essence as well. You know, it's it's all about the craft. And I think me and George, I mean, we're on first name terms, obviously. We've got the same beard. We've got the same beard. He was almost on this episode, but uh, he had uh, out, so. uh, it's great you could fill in, Rob. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um... And I, I, I strongly believe that technology pushes the art and art pushes the uh, technology. And I think that's exactly what Star Wars fundamentally is. It's a, it's a property which has always strived to push storytelling forward whilst also pushing technology. But that only comes with it through the art itself and the art of storytelling. That's a, that's a great answer. That's a Beautifully put, answer. yeah. Yeah, wonderful. And so I also just quickly as well, like since... George, you you're on first name basis, uh, pal over of course. there, um, sold over Lucasfilm to Disney. Like briefly, how do you think you know since that sort of takeover, the current modern Star Wars is for you? I think it's, 
I think for the most part, I mean, I want to be very cautious and say that I was very cautious um, and very skeptical about the whole thing. And I don't think it was wise of George to say that he sold it to a slave owner. Um, I think I would have, you know, loved to have said to George, 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 come on, buddy, buddy, buddy. As, as we learned from these prequels, he's got a very specific idea what slave owner means. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we got to forgive him. You know, we, yeah. I think I think even since then he's come out and said I probably shouldn't have said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I reckon Spielberg probably called him up and did exactly what he did on the documentary. Went, no, George, George, George. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. Um, <laughs> that is actually the best bit in the documentary. Anyway, mm. take that to one side. Um, I was very sceptical about the the move to Disney and to see what they were going to do with the franchise. And, you know, some of my fears were correct. They have basically pushed, you know, the franchise in a way where it's... Um, I, I think that the phrase that Warner Brothers or someone called was toyetic. It has become much more of a toyetic franchise now in which everything feels like it's becoming a toy. And it's the same thing with the Marvel stuff. Like... Uh, Without the toys, I might add. Them. Yeah, yeah, which, no. Which, uh, which, uh, <laughs> no, we sure. We were actually just talking about this before we started recording. There's a strange situation with the merchandise, mm. but but I, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah I, I get. Yeah. But I'm just saying they're becoming more toyetic without the actual toys themselves. Which no, absolutely. And I know we're going to deep dive into this later on, but it means more stories that we've not been able to tell. Which I think for future filmmakers like myself and others, I know that. It gives us the opportunity to actually, you know, not just play with our action figures and, you know, play the video games. It's actually to come up with the ideas now and actually be able to say, well, we can take a small sentence and make Rogue One. We can take um, a line of dialogue like um, we meet again at last and now we're going to get Obi-Wan Kenobi next week. You know, what happened prior to that? You know, before the, your power is a weak old man. You know, what happened to all of that beforehand? And that still really excites me. And, you know, we're not going to dive into this at, at any point, but like the new pre, the new sequels are a mixed bag in my opinion, but at least we got some fun and we got pure creativity from the creators and we got in my opinion, one of the most psychologically philosophical in-depth films of the franchise, which is The Last Jedi. Yeah, I honestly believe that if you give the creativity back to the filmmakers, you'll be able to get something more in-depth and satisfying. And one of those things is The Last Jedi. The other is The Mandalorian. The other is um, Solo. I actually really like Solo. I know a lot of people have mixed bags on that, but I think it's a beautifully photographed film. And I look forward to seeing obi-wan kenobi i think that's going to be i'll call it now i think it's going to be fantastic i really do well we'll we'll get into kenobi a bit later down in the show but um on that i think that's a perfect segue to go into the actual meat and potatoes of this show which is a look back at revenge of the sith so niall i'll, I'll start with you like uh back in ireland in 2005 uh like when was your first time viewing uh revenge of the sith and like what was that experience like so I remember um, prior to prior to seeing it, I was really into Star Wars, but more from, like Rob said, watching the VHS of the old ones. And I had like strangely little exposure to the prequels. Like when I saw Revenge of the Sith, I hadn't seen Phantom Menace. I had just seen Attack of the Clones because I just couldn't get a hold of it because I know this makes Ireland sound very rural, but there was nowhere to rent it. And that was the only way I could see it. So it wasn't until years later I moved to a bigger town. 
But I was reading about it in magazines and it was like, this is the one. It bridges these trilogies. You find out how it all happens. And something about that, the idea of prequel storytelling in that sense, just got wormed its way into me. And I thought that was so interesting because when you're young, you're just used to movie one, movie two, movie three. But this idea of going back and showing it, I just thought was mind blowing at the time. So to see it, I was doing... I don't remember which subject in school it was. I was doing pretty badly in one subject. And my dad said to me, if you can improve your grades by this point, I will drive you up to Galway and we will go to the new cinema and see this movie. And my dad, all my family hates Star Wars, but me. It's a (laughs) very strange environment to have grown up in. They all hate the Beatles too. And I love the Beatles. I don't know what I've done wrong. I can see Rob's reaction. And this has been my life. If you're wondering why I've, I've turned out this way. Were you secretly adopted by, like, a, a religious cult? That Maybe. Uh, that would make sense. <laughs> it was Death Watch, man. That's why I had to wear that bucket on my head. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. So I did. I, I did improve my grades. Got to go see it. I was, I think, I think I've always said 10. But looking back at it, I remembered when my birthday is. And I was nine. So I had, like, a lightsaber with me. I had a Darth Vader mask. And it it was a pretty stunning experience to see something... When you're a nine-year-old, because that's a 12A film, but they, they do really push it in, in a lot of ways that we'll go into that I was not expecting, even though like there were bits in the originals that gave me nightmares. Yeah, it was kind of a mind-blowing experience. My dad fell asleep almost immediately, which means <laughs> I, I had a great time, he had a great nap, so we're all pretty happy. And I'm pretty sure afterwards we got McDonald's, because that kind of encapsulates most good childhood memories, is following up with that. Oh, the McDonald's at the so end. Yeah, that was that was my uh, Revenge of the Sith date, probably 17 years ago to the day, if that was a UK release date. Uh, yes, it was. I think yeah. it was released on that date worldwide, 19th of May, 2005. And yeah, f- for me, I was... Uh, I was at the age that George himself would say, oh, you're perfect. You're 12 years old. It's for 12-year-olds, you know. And I was a huge Star Wars kid. I didn't see Phantom Menace in the cinema. Attack of the Clones was the first one I saw in the cinema. But I only have very vague memories. Revenge of the Sith was the one that was a huge experience on me going to the cinema to see this. Um, a similar story to you, Niall. I don't remember the details, but I remember I had like this report card. It wasn't so much about my grades; it was more about my behavior at school. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was. I had a sort of certain deal. You know, if you don't get any of these sort of marks this week, you know, you, you'll be allowed to go see the film. And I was my best behavior. You can you can absolutely bet I was on my best behavior. Um, but for me, it was the thing going into it for me was that this was the end you know this is what it was marketed to us as this is the end of star wars and i was probably still to this day you know anakin skywalker slash darth vader is probably my favorite character throughout the franchise uh and it was sold to us as like this is the one this is the one where we're gonna see him fall and become darth vader and you know as a 12 year old kid you come up with all these sort of fantasies you think yeah he's gonna kick ass and kill jedi and all all sorts of this badass stuff you know you as well coming off of that animated the 2d animated clone wars as well i was thinking oh we're gonna get some clone wars more action and all this stuff so i was very anticipating this film it was a huge thing for me and i remember in gibraltar we only had the one cinema with the one screen and to me at that age it seemed like the whole town was there to see the film like as soon as i got there was a huge queue around the corner my friend saved me a spot we got in 
And I honestly, I don't think we just don't have cinema experiences like this anymore, like we used to, in the sense of like people are just buzzing in the theater as they're coming in. There are some people waving their lightsabers and all this sort of stuff. And it was such a surreal experience, like especially at that age and coming out of it, you don't hear about the criticisms as much. You don't really know what criticisms are. You're just sort of enthralled with the spectacle of it all. Um, and I didn't think that it was impossible for me to say that was a bad film because everyone in that screening was just cheering. You know, you felt the emotion. Like, I, I, re I vividly remember one of the last shots when the Vader's mask finally goes on and you get that first breath. Everybody cheered and clapped. Uh, and I'm thinking back now. That's not like, really the tone I, of the scene. No, I, the thing is, I'm, I'm thinking back now and I'm thinking George would be really upset about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Because his whole point of making the prequels was like, you guys love Darth Vader. You shouldn't love Darth Vader. Let me tell you the story about why you shouldn't love this guy. And we still end up loving. So it's it's a weird relationship. People like the bad guys, as he says. Um, so yeah, it was a, what an experience for me. That was like one of the first monumental cinema experiences for me of seeing that film in Gibraltar, which to me felt like the whole town was there to see this. This was the end of Star Wars. It was a big thing. That sounds awesome. The fact that it, like so many people reunited just to go to that one cinema, just to see the film. That sounds awesome, man. It man, every it was insane. Such a good experience, mm. uh, which was as well because I had a that year as well. Side topic, but I had another monumental cinema experience, which was Batman Begins. Mm, of course, um, yeah. But I was like one of the only people in the cinema for that mm. one. But that one, I was like, oh, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny to think there was a there was a time when like a Batman reboot would have kind of. Eh, I guess I'll see it. Yeah. Which now it's like yeah. everyone talks about it. But that was the tone of, as you know, Rob, like yeah. Batman at the time was kind of had to, some black marks against him from his previous incarnation. <laughs> he had a, a very low expectations, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, cold reception. Yes, a cold reception. I mean, well, speaking of which, there was a lot of a certain expectation and reception to the prequel films as these were coming out. Like, what about you, Rob? What was your experience? Um, did that also play in a factor for you going to in? Were you a bit more cautious or were you more, this is it, this is the, the last one sort of thing? Well, since you guys brought it up, so um, I, I was 14, so I didn't have to worry about my fucking grades. I was like, yeah, I'm going to the cinema no matter what, bitch. No, I didn't say that to my mum. I would never say that. I would never say that. Yeah, I'd never say that. I hope you didn't say it to the person selling you the ticket. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no, I just force, force choked the bit, uh, shit out of them. Uh, no, um... I so uh, first of all I never said that to my mother just to clarify that I love you mum I love you always I was 14 and I went with my fellow Star Wars um fan friend and who I'm still friends with to this day and we and I didn't realize this until I cuz I collect my uh, my ticket stubs and I started collecting them back in 2002 or 2003 um I think X-Men 2 so that would have been 2003 anyway and I went to the Genesis Cinema in East London. And uh, funny enough, in a couple of weeks' time, um, I have a film that's actually premiering there, which I'll probably plug towards the end, obviously. But it's kind of a nice full circle, actually, that, that it was the first uh, the cinema to, for that. And it's one of the biggest screens in East London, and it was a packed house. I think people were very cautious going in, because uh, I don't think... Do you know what's really crazy? Because I remember collecting and reading at the time because again 
I, I loved film magazines. I was addicted to film. I'm still addicted to film. So I was reading Empire magazine. I remember there was the infamous five-star review of Attack of the Clones. And I remember watching Attack of the Clones and thinking, holy shit, they really got this wrong. Uh, <laughs> they really got the five-star review wrong there. Um, and then I was optimistic because they gave uh, Revenge of the Sith four stars. And I was like, okay... I mean, respect yeah. for putting Attack of the Clones above Revenge I know, of the I know. And I mean, look, it's, since it has been re-reviewed and it's now been given like a three or something like that, which, you know, you stick with... It's like that whole thing. If you you stick with your first dance and you take it, you know, you live with the, the, the circumstances. I mean, this is the same publication that gave Kingdom of the Crystal Skull four stars, for God's sake. And oh, we all know how that turned out. Anyway, but walking in with a fellow Star Wars fan, we'd just finished school and we went off to school and we saw like the seven o'clock showing of Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. And I think everyone was genuinely pleasantly surprised just how good it was. I mean, for me as a 14 year old, I think I was probably more into the whole story aspect of, the, of it wise, whereas my mate was more into the whole lightsaber jewels and everything else. And there's nothing wrong with that because again, it's like pizza you can like certain bits of pizza you know it's it's just pizza at the end of the day um whereas i like a bit of more substance with my pizza you know like a little bit more flavor using uh taking my uh, analogy there aren't you I, I i i thought you liked that i thought you liked that darling food analogies yeah. live on yes, yes. <laughs> we're cooking we're cooking um <laughs> so is anakin at the end dude oh, oh. <laughs> crispy critter <laughs> charred remain um yeah and I remember not so much. I, I think there wasn't so much a cheer at the end. There was almost a level of sadness, actually, if I'm honest with you. Like it's meant to it be. It is. It's really <laughs> sad, like to to see the ending. And there was applaud at the the you know the final moment where the, the the two sons and everything else. But I remember one moment in particular, which I don't think was supposed to happen, but it did. And I'm not going to lie, I laughed as well. But it's the infamous, no, everybody laughed in the cinema at that moment. It was all very serious and very this, that, and the other. And then you just have, where is Padme? And you're like, George, no, no. <laughs> you you had the you had the audience by your grasp. You didn't have to have anything else after that. But he did, and you had the infamous no. And look, it still works as a as a scene now, because the, the, the beautiful thing about this film it is it's aged very well, actually, I have to say you know, certain things to one side, which we'll discuss. But I remember feeling very cautious, but by the end of the film, very um, pleasantly surprised by how good it was, but also very sad that it was an ending because it did feel like the end of Star Wars. And I think I remember turning to my friend and saying, well, do you know what? If that is the end of Star Wars, then, you know, at least we can extend our Star Wars Sundays. You know, we can do a full day of it now rather than doing, you know, six hours worth. Now we have 12 hours of it. <laughs> you know, you know, we can have much more of it. And counting. And counting. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yes. So did it. So I, I think anyway, like this, the promise of this film, of the prequels really, was Anakin turning into Darth Vader. Mm. You know, it's that fall. That's the main story. Yeah. Did it live up for you, that aspect of the film? Because I know that was a big point of the film that a lot of people were very divided on. Some people said he fell too quickly or they didn't understand his motivations. I or, think... But wh where, do you, where do you stand? Did it live up to the promise? 
of Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader. I think it does. And I don't think, I'll be honest with you, I don't think everyone at the time fully understood why. I think over time, I think people have got to recognise even further why the motivations of Darth Vader are more plausible and more, you know, because people, I think at the time, people thought it was just such a cliche that he was doing it for love and doing it for this, that and the other. But there is so much more to it than just him doing it out of love. This is a dude who suffers from mental health. In the modern context of things, this is a dude that suffered from mental health. This is someone who got taken away from his mum, who was a slave, and himself was a slave. He hasn't got a father, you know, that fucks you up as a kid as well. Um, he gets forced- Grew up to, in a cult. He grew up in a cult in which they are very conflicted and their, their system of ideologies is, is incredibly questionable. And the great line from um, uh, Palpatine, I think it says, uh, um, arrogance. You know, it's pure, pure arrogance. And even when you go to them for advice, there's that wonderful scene with- Anakin and Yoda. Yoda doesn't really give him the best advice at all. He basically just says, you know, straighten up and fly right. And he's like, Yoda, come on, dude. Like, this is a guy who's clearly, you know, coming to you with his heart here saying, I'm I'm really suffering here. Like, it, you know, and it does speak many volumes even more so now. And I don't think people fully understood that at the time of this film, because I think, and the biggest problem, which has always been with uh, the prequels is that you have Attack of the Clones in this this trilogy of it because when you get to Phantom Menace again over time you look at it shot on film it looks fantastic it's beautifully lit the CGI at its time is incredible and it's groundbreaking it's filmmaking right there you get to Attack of the Clones you've got it digital first digital full length feature I discussed this not too long with you, Jake, but I thought maybe a bit too ahead of its time in terms of its, its um, filmmaking in terms of using a digital camera and actually filming it as full length. Because when you look at it now on Blu-ray, I don't think it really holds up. And plus, it does feel a little kind of rushed and disjointed with its love themes and everything else. And you don't really buy the chemistry in that film necessarily. But when you get to the Revenge of the Sith, and if you take Revenge of the Sith as a standalone film... From beat to beat, at the uh, from the beginning, middle, and end, it works. It really, really works. You do see the fall of not just a friend, a mentor, um, a husband, uh, a potential father, but you see the fall of brothers as well. And it and is the collapse of an entire system. You as see well. the collapse of an entire system as well, yeah. and. It, it, it does hit home. It is quite heartbreaking at the end of it all. Because, again, you do see Anakin as a good person. Like, there's the moment where he's flying at the beginning. And he's like, oh, maybe I should help those troopers. No, no, no. They're doing their job. Okay. All right. So we're just going to go with that, are we? And then he helps Obi-Wan and all these other different things. He's a good person and fundamentally who gets twisted by clearly someone who's very evil. Yes, but kind of does have a point here and there because the Jedi, as we've brought up already, are very arrogant and very conflicted within their own ideology. So I think given time, given 17 years later, I think in retrospect, I think a lot of people are, are finally understanding what George was trying to do. And it does feel like that George Lucas was more concentrated on this film than perhaps maybe Attack of the Clones and quite possibly Phantom Menace as well. 
I think he really benefited because this one had to reach a certain point in so many ways. Yeah, which sure. I think maybe in the first two, he wasn't quite sure what the actual endpoints would be. I was thinking this time, um, kind of rewatching them, like I didn't get to do a Attack of the Clones rewatch, but I right. think that movie would have been a lot stronger if they had aged Anakin like more teenage, because then it works as a very interesting stages of life. Mm. Whereas I think in these two, they're a bit too close because he's kind of written in the second one. It's more of like a, uh, an angsty teenager but mm. like the actor's like i don't know how old hayden christensen was but he, the whole vibe's too old and obviously with a romance that wouldn't work because he's already pushing buttons with phantom menace that's <laughs> licorice pizza stuff but uh, yes. you know it's, it's really interesting points and uh what you're saying about that scene with yoda as well what i really loved about it is because uh, us has come up i've grown up in ireland mm. and in our school systems for a lot of like health problems and we were taught sex ed from a nun because it's a heavily Catholic country. Right. You know, and this is like, of course, it's all right for him to tell Anakin, like, oh, let go of the people you love. It's like, but, yeah. but what do you know about it, dude? Like, yeah. who have you let go? You've been a monk for like 800 years. Mm. And I find that it's really interesting the way it recontextualizes iconography from such famous films because you think Yoda's really wise. It's like, well, actually, when he was like, 30 years younger, he was kind of dumb. He made a lot of bad choices. Personally, it tracks with what George did in the original three films. I mean, if we're talking about specifically that Yoda moment, mm. he's basically reflecting on wars not make one great. Yeah. Yoda is acknowledging, I failed. And, you mm. know, this is the era where me and all the others around me, we were blinded by the dark side. Blinded, which I love Ryan Johnson for bringing this into the Star Wars world, the hubris mm. of the Jedi. Mm, yeah. That's the word I love that when it comes to the Jedi, their utter hubris. Like when you have things right in their face, Palpatine's right there manipulating in front of you and you can't see it mm. because you're too focused on your own hubris. You know, uh, we'll get into the juicier stuff, but Niall, I wanted to hear about you. What do you think overall about this film? Because I know you have some mixed feelings about it. Um. Well, I'm become one of those people. I know it's this is like a very kind of an outlier opinion now, but I think this isn't the strongest prequel. I actually think Phantom Menace is overall because I think it just has like a more consistent sense of adventure for me. And I know it's much lighter, but a good friend of mine once we were talking about it because at the time I wasn't into Phantom Menace and he said he thinks it's a great movie that's told from the point like almost like from a child's point of view. And when I watched it from that angle, it's like, yeah, there's like a weird sense of wonder and the things that don't quite make sense. You're like, oh, they're just trying to like skip past this to get back to the adventure, you know? And I, I found that really charming because I do, I do like this movie too. I think my biggest problems with it is just some of the pacing. There's a weird thing early in the movie because this has an opening really similar to, again, maybe controversially, my favorite Star Wars film, Return of the Jedi. It starts with like, almost a cold open little adventure we've got to save someone and there's all these weird creatures and it's really exciting and fun because when you watch them in order attack of the clones towards the end it kind of peters out there's a big desert battle that's not quite so engaging and then this movie just starts out literally all guns blazing which mm. is great but right after that it goes into this quite a lot of scenes of characters slowly walking and talking or <laughs> sitting down and talking and it's like all right let's let's get back to it um, and I think one big flaw that has really snuck up on me over the years is I really don't like how General Grievous is made as a thing to get Obi-Wan out of the film. 
I think it diffuses a lot of potential like drama that comes back in the third act. But it's like they introduce Christopher Lee really late in the second one, dispatch him really early in this one, and introduce a cartoon character for him to fight. I was like, oh, man, imagine if that was Christopher Lee. I could have forgiven it so much more. Because this character, I loved Daryl Grievous when I was young, but now he very much strikes me as like maybe too much, especially in the same movie that introduces Darth Vader, who's by default like so restrained in design. And the dude's got I, four I, lightsabers, I, you know? I, I, I think um, I think I've always been a fan of Grievous because of the cool aesthetic. Mm. I agree with you. It's a lot. Like it is very over the top. But I do think Revenge of the Sith is very much in George is having that mentality of this is the last one I'm making. I think he's literally throwing everything that he loves in this film down to the weird, over-the-top creature and robot designs from B-movies and 50s and serial adventures, you know? I think it's within that spirit. Um, I agree with you. It can be a bit much, but I do think it's George like, this is the last one. Why not? I'm going to throw this. And I do think the... I think it's powerful of introducing Grievous on the symbolism of, like, this is what Anakin is going to become, you know? Like this sort of cyborg creature, which is no humanity left in him apart from he's more machine now than man. You know that's he's that's what he's sort of echoing on of that line. Um, yeah, I think I would yeah. have found it stronger if he had like been introduced more organically through the prequels. You know, and he's suddenly there at the start of this one. You know, after mm-hmm. uh, kind of elongated marketing campaign with the excellent two D cartoon and merchandising. Because I think it's a weird thing in the prequels. It's they almost like every movie they introduce a new villain. And they kind of, I think in every case, people will be like, oh, now they're gone. Which is quite cool in a way, because it does like give the world that kind of fleshed out stuff. But when you look at like, say, if you put Grievous and Darth Maul in the same room, it's like, it's very clear, like why one became really iconic and the other is kind of, I don't want to be mean, but like more meme famous now, maybe, than actually oh, famous. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. General Nile. You are, a <laughs> but I, th- one. but I also, I think as well, George kind of acknowledges that because even when he went and did the Clone Wars, mm. the the 3D Clone Wars, he did carry on and make Grievous a bit of a wimp and a bit of a, a silly character that doesn't really have anything mm. cool. You know, he doesn't have any victories, does he? He's always a coward. He's always running away, sort of thing. Unless you count the Toonami, the uh, Samurai Jack anime one, mm. which yes, they, yes, yeah. They, I remember watching that. It's a very different character. Yeah, yeah. totally different character <laughs> as well. Yeah, totally. Um, oh, I'm going to weigh in on the Grievous thing actually very quickly. Um, go on then, I, go on then. I love him. I do. I, I love him. You know, not in a, like, I love him, I want his babies type thing, but like, I, I love yeah, him I because... Yeah, I think you're out of luck there. Yeah. <laughs> so uncivilized. Um, <laughs> I love him because he reminds me of a classic James Bond henchman. You know, he's the typical henchman who does the work that his boss is basically asking him to do. And by the end of the course, it's like, do you know what it's like, actually? I'll, and this is a very early example. No, I say early example, late example. He's like Steppenwolf. Like, when you take a phone call from him and you're like, Desaad, what do you want now? Like, it's like we've, t- we've spoken this before, me and Jake, about the whole, like, Zoom call thing. Like, a, oh, what the fuck does he want now? It's like that moment with um, General Grievous. He's like, oh, he's giving me a fucking call. Right. Yes, Grievous, what do you want now? You know, oh, are you doing your job? Are you doing it? Oh, no. Oh, Kenobi's escaped. Is it? Oh, fucking hell. Right. You know, he's... 
he's he's useful, but he's also completely useless at the same time. And despite the fact that he's trained in the Jedi arts and he has a collection of lightsabers, which I still, even to this day, with my fellow uh, nerds, say you will make a fine addition to my collection. You know, it, 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 I, I that's why I love him. I'm just going to be silly now and just say, who doesn't want a four lightsaber robot attacking one guy with one lightsaber and it's it is kind of cool it's really cool and i it's cool man and i remember like... i think everyone in the cinema all collectively went what you know it's yeah. it is a moment i was gonna say it's one of my few like definite memories i have from being nine years old seeing it in the cinema because i was mm. really pumped for the character and when he takes out the lightsabers, I was like, you're saying, rubbing my hands. And he, he gets just, like, beaten in that lightsaber fight so quickly. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's he, oh he's, he's not a Jedi, is he? Yeah. No, he's not very good. He's not <laughs> it's very really good. compensating. But that's what I mean. That's why he's, like, the perfect, like, Bond henchman. You know, he's perfectly fine in places, but absolutely useless when you need him the most. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, last thing for me on Grievous. I also think it's plays into the grand scheme of Palpatine, Mm. you know, where it goes back to what you were saying, Niall, about with the prequels that you kept on getting introduced to new villains all the time. I think that's kind of the point of Palpatine where he's just using people. And he's like, like with Darth Maul, for example, you are a blunt weapon. I'm using you for this. Your task, you know, you died. All right, whatever. I'll move on to the next one. He'll just throw people around, manipulate them as he wants because he doesn't care about it. Even Anakin. Like, throughout the manipulation, oh, my boy, I care about... What a liar. He doesn't care about him. He doesn't, you know, it, it's all manipulation. And at, any, and at a drop of a hat, he will dump Vader. If so, Well, that's what he was doing in Return of the Jedi. He was, oh, Luke, why don't you come here? Vader, I don't need you anymore. Sort of this guy's, you know, because we'll get... Because at the end, when we have the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan, when Obi-Wan, you know, dismembers him and he gets burnt to a crisp, you know, I believe that he's damaged Palpatine's toy there. Mm. Damaged goods. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, Palpatine was expecting this all-powerful force user. He even said as much to Yoda, you know, Darth Vader will become more powerful than either of us. And he can't quite become as powerful as his potential would allow because of the dismemberment and everything. And Palpatine's like, ah, damaged goods. What the hell happened he, here? He, he invested <sighs> so much in that kid. And then the kid is just like pretty much dared to do a backflip. And this is what happens. This is what I'd be so mad. I know, I know. I do but, think um, that's quite a um, sweet moment, though, actually, because I, I completely forgot about it until I rewatched it. Was the moment when Palpatine does put his hand over his head once, like he's like he's caught up with him, and he says, "Go get a medical pack immediately." And he just crouches down next to him, puts his hand over the top of his head. And so I do actually think in that one moment, it's you know, it's uh, it kind of comes full circle that moment of. He never had a father, but yet there is one right in front of him right now who's who's the only one that's actually caring for him because his brother has just, you know, taken the high ground and just completely destroyed and fucked his body to the point where he's now burnt to a crisp and he's got nobody but him left. And it's kind of beautiful, but also very sad as well. Well, it plays really nicely into their next scene, which is like Frankenstein and his monster. Yeah, it's yeah. got that weird like tenderness. Uh, oh, it's yeah. that stuff. Like, well, we might as well just say it now. Like, this is pretty much Ian McDermott's movie. Oh, I would say. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Like, yeah, should be number one build, and I think everyone. That's one thing. Even people who like, if you hate this movie, 
you agree that he is like just so good. Yeah, I mean, if uh, mm. Grievous is the Bond henchman, um, Palpatine is is easily a classic Shakespearean villain. You know, he hams mm. it up to a point where to to yeah to, to eleven to like... eleven, but at the point where you're just like, do you know what? You've taken this choice, and you're going with it, and I love it. Mm. I just when you think he can't go further, they add reverb to his voice (laughs) out of nowhere. It's like, okay, here we are. And I love that in uh, when watching some of the behind the scenes, like George is like, no, go bigger, Mm. keep going, keep going, unlimited power. You know, it's (laughs) camp, it's British pantomime at its campiest, highest level, and I absolutely love it. Mm. Like he just steals this film. Like um, on Palpatine, like. Niall, what do you think of like the grand scheme of Palpatine as an all? Because I think that that's the central to this entire prequel trilogy and then culminating in this film and then obviously going off into the other films. But what do you think of it? Because for me, that's the big draw of the prequels. It's Palpatine's plan, his manipulations from the beginning. For me, it's one of those things. It's like, it, it's it's fun, but it's it's got very much the thing of and this is a big thing I've seen a lot in cartoons at the end, if it's like an ongoing serial, you'll see the master villain go, ha ha, this is all according to my plan. <laughs> Even though everything has gone wrong, it's like, ah, the force, I knew this, whatever. So you've got to like play into that. If you don't buy into the overall thing of Star Wars is the force kind of dictates everything. There's, you know, there's billions of plot holes. I don't believe in plot holes anyway, but you, you could pick it apart. But it's just... It's so nice to see a villain having so much fun with it. Mm. And even though I'm obviously like, I'm not a monster. I want the quote unquote heroes to win. He's just having so much fun winning. I'm like, oh, come on, let him build his Death Star. Let him let him have his empire, you know? <laughs> they, I would be like the first to fall, apparently. If the Republic falls, that is where we live. I'm like, well, the villain's kind of fun, well. I didn't notice this until I watched the film, like maybe for the tenth time in my life. But I love the fact that his robe is reversal. You know, he's got a black <laughs> robe on the end, and he reverses. <laughs> I love that. I never noticed it, and then as soon as he did it in the film, I was like, "He's been hey, showing he's this the whole style. time." Yeah. What he's definitely fuck? had that because he's like spilled his lunch on it. And he's like, oh, "Gotta get changed." Flip it. <laughs> oh Jesus! The mustard has gone everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Unlimited mustard. mustard. <laughs> Also, amazing moment in this movie, because it is like, this is a movie that, for the most part, takes itself quite seriously. And I don't mean that as a criticism, but it's amazing to have your series villain to show him getting, like, thrown over a table and falling on his ass. Mm. That is, I think, my favorite Star Wars gif. Incredible (laughs) stuff. That is, is good stuff. I mean, this whole film has just become meme quality to another. It's probably the most, like like film that you see talked about the most online i'd say in terms of like jokes and stuff like that mm. like, there's just so much of it uh with Sheev though like for, for me it's it's like seeing when you look back and actually watch phantom menace and watch his actions all his little mannerisms and how he talks to certain characters it all track and even clone wars it all tracks like Yes, you could pick it apart, absolutely. But what I love about Palpatine is that sometimes things don't go his way, but he figures out a way to make it go in his direction. You know what I mean? Like, people always say, oh, what if Qui-Gon had survived when Anakin would have turned to the dark side? Well, yes, mm. Palpatine would have found a way, I think. You know, he would have, he would have got rid of Qui-Gon pretty soon. Honestly, <laughs> I, I could have seen Qui-Gon joining him, you know? 
He's a, he had that streak in him, and he had Dooku that's, on his it, side. That, that's possible. That's, that's a possible. what if I'd like to see if they ever do a yeah. what if show. Right. Oh, don't give them the ideas. <laughs> Please don't, don't give them, give them those yeah. ideas. Like you get all yeah. sorts <laughs> into fantasies and stuff. Um, but and for me, it's just seeing Ian McDermott's performance is magnificent because it's also not just the over the top moments; it's the little soft moments he has with Anakin. Like you know, as I was saying, like yeah. We're, I need your help, son, you know. I am appointing you, you know, and doing this sort of frail old man, please help me, you know. It's masterful manipulation, and he knows exactly all the right buttons to push when An- when Anakin's involved. You know, first we have him him appointed to the council, and then we have, I mean, let's talk about it. The scene everyone t- loves, it's, the, you know, the Darth Plagueis, the Y scene. Uh, it is on record as the longest scene in any Star Wars film that is just dialogue. You know, a lot. I think it's like five minutes and just over 30 seconds or something. Straight dialogue, two characters talking. Something you wouldn't really expect in a third film of this sort of franchise. And it's just him planting the seeds in Anakin, waiting for Anakin's reactions, playing off those reactions. Like, you know, acting is reacting. He's just playing a part. He's seeing what he can sink, you know, sink his teeth into. Oh, there's a little bit of bait there. When he mentions he's trying to test him about the morals of the Jedi, and Anakin's like, no, no, the Jedi are selfless. And you see that pause in Ian McDermott's performance. He stops, looks at that, and you can see, how can I get him now? And then he goes, he smiles first, and then he goes, did you ever hear the tragedy Mm. of Dark? He knows exactly. He's like, I didn't get him with that one. I'm going to get him with this one. You know, and it, but it still lies because even when he finally turns at the end to Vader, he's like, uh, "Well, that power only one person actually learned how to do that." But I'm sure if we work together, we'll uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. And I'm just thinking, hang on a second, just a couple he's of a, scenes he's ago, he's a con man. He's a con man. You just said a couple of scenes ago, oh, "I've got the power." I'll, you know, you can save Padme. It's all good. It's all good, bro. Come join my side. I think that what a horrible old man, just manipulative at his best. And he just, it's the soft moments and then the hammy pantomime moments that just make this villain so deliciously evil. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was was a very interesting choice of words when you said planting the seeds, because this is a a scene with a lot of insemination imagery, because they talk about, you know, manipulating midichlorians to create life and the, the water opera. This is like such, so interesting in retrospect, because it's one of those rare cases. Because something you could say is like Star Wars always maybe goes into too much detail over backstory. But this is one of those things that's just like implied. And they've never yeah. really gone solid on it. I know some comics have hinted at it too. But that is the stuff I find really interesting. And uh, growing up, I read The Making of Revenge of the Sith by a, a great author who, whose name I don't remember, but he passed away recently. Great behind the scenes filmmaker. Oh, you've got it there, Jake. It's J.W. Rinsler. Yeah. He did pass away, right? I'm not... He, he did, yeah. Okay. Um, unfortunately, he recently yeah. passed away, yeah. Amazing book. And it even says, like, deleted dialogue where Sidious was going to have the I am your father line to him, in a way, which would have been maybe too much poetry for us to handle. But the, the scene has so much going on. I remember this was a scene they showed on TV in Ireland before this movie came out. And I was so pumped. I was like, oh, there's a scene where they, they talk at the opera. I was like... Okay, I'm pumped. I think for me, this scene in particular, I mean, I think this is the biggest probably... um, I mean, I'll go into George's praises even further. Again, first name terms. Um, This is where George's writing does actually go really well in terms of writing dialogue. 
because not only do you get the depth of the 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 further lore of what Star Wars is and what it could be, and this was you know back to your first question where you asked me about um am I excited about the prospect of further Star Wars adventures uh, later on? This was a hint at it. This was really the big first kind of hint of a an expanded kind of universe of Star Wars that we either will never see, which at the time it was that case of we will never see. Or, you know, maybe we could in comics form or books form or whatever, or even in video games. Who knows? And I loved just this notion that there is this kind of law to Star Wars and this law of the Sith and everything that um, this person knows. And of course, as we said, like planting the seeds and everything. But I think the reason why the scene itself also really works as well, and I'm going to come back to George again, is what he's always said, which is it's symmetry. It's like poetry. It rhymes, you know, Um the fact of the matter is, and, you know, maybe you can think I'm over reading this slightly, but I, I like to think of it this way as well. I mean, you guys have said a really beautiful couple of things just a moment ago about um, the organicness of water and seeding and planting of all these things. But I think what I think stands out the most is the fact is it's a self-reflectory scene about art and the experience of the art itself. These are two guys sat in chairs uh, watching theatre, watching a show. And yet that's exactly what we, the audience, are doing in the cinema itself. We're watching a piece of art. We're watching a piece of theatre and, you know, film itself. So we're in their positions. We're in exactly either Anakin's position or we're in Palpatine's position. And we are experiencing this moment in this one place entirely. And this is the key moment uh, for me where Anakin starts to really question actually the choices that in which he's making. And... um. As, and the Jedi as and well. And the Jedi as well. Because again, as I mentioned before, this is a guy who um, suffers from mental health issues. But this is also somebody who gets um, um, pulled away from a promotion. You know, he doesn't even get to be a Jedi Master because, uh, well, why? That's a big question with itself. Why? He he basically carried, literally and figuratively, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the first mission. So... And he manages to save, pa well, save Palpatine. You know, we can read into that later. But um, I just think as a piece of writing and a piece of direction itself, I think it's a really um, symbolic um, piece of filmmaking and a piece about the experience of cinema within that moment as well. So maybe that's me over-reading it, but maybe maybe not, who knows. No, it's, it's interesting you say that because it made me think that it's, it's very subtle in the film, but mm. you see his office of swell and he's someone who actually like collects and has an interest in art as well as being a man who goes to the opera. Yeah. And that's just something that's kind of, again, a very like Bond villain where they're mm. very classy and they've got classy interests. And when you see like the Jedi and they have nothing, you know, they sit on beanbags and just talk about the war. They don't really have interests outside of being Jedi. And I find it interesting that like Palpatine himself is like a man of culture. Mm. Mm. But... I think that's all a facade. Like, <laughs> I think that's that's all this. That's the face of Sheev, not Emperor Palpatine, not Sidious. Do you know what I mean? Because we're, as we transition into the Empire, it's it's uh, stiff, it's you know stubborn, it's jagged. There's no curves. There's no arts to the Empire. It's all black and white. You know. Even down to even his throne room in Return of the Jedi, there's no art in sight, you know, anything like that. I think that's just all a facade of like, these were the high times. I'm just going to play in. I'm going to do what people expect somebody in this position to be like. 
but really I just want to kill this little green friend. <laughs> you know, he that's him. That's what he wants to be. He's like really holding it back. I think even, you know, it's hard not to think about the Clone Wars when I watch the prequels now because it's, mm. you know, embedded into the whole story. Um, but even seeing Palpatine in the Clone Wars really being like... I've got to wait. It's not time yet. I really want to kill this little green thing, but it's not time yet. So mm. <laughs> and it's really fun to see it all play out in this. I do imagine he's a dartboard with Yoda's face on in his like little Sidious man cave. <laughs> Sidious man on cave. Exegol. I love it. I love it. <laughs> on Exegol. Oh. Uh. <laughs> on, on the Jedi then, uh, Niall, were the Jedi wrong? Oh, were the Jedi wrong? Oh God, in so many ways, yes. And it's funny because, like, when you're when you're young and you watch it, you do just see it like very black and white, mm. like very much like. And that's not me saying like both sides are equally bad because I'm not one of those guys. But it is interesting to see like a giant organization make so many mistakes through again, like you say, hubris. And there's so many like real world parallels with it. I find fascinating, especially like as I said, growing up in like a heavily Catholic country mm. around the time, a lot of stuff was coming out. Um, yeah, and just I. It is something I appreciate that the show later on, I don't want to go too much on other things. I want to say yeah. like kind of specific to this, but again, like Last Jedi, like really um, like buys into this kind of overall story of the hubris of this giant organization and why it fell and why it kind of had to, to come back. The idea of this like cleansing, not destruction, because I don't think any culture should be destroyed. But this idea like they need to go back to their roots. It's like when you love a band and they just make terrible albums. You're like, do you have to go country? Can you do what you did before? But just remember your inspirations. Go back to your old stuff, man. Yes. In the end, I think the Jedi made a lot of mistakes. I will add to that, though, and say that the one Jedi, I think, who encompasses both the the good and the bad and he's holding up the action figure it's um Yarel poof <laughs> yaddle yaddle um it's um... although i think yaddle was uh was out of the council by this point like yeah. she knows what she did uh, after that me- after that uh situation with yoda hey <laughs> uh, um ben kenobi old uh old obi-wan kenobi um by the way ewan mcgregor amazing like very consistent throughout the, the the prequel trilogy, who just gets better and better, and I think he's got actually a tougher task in this film to not only um, go through quite an emotional arc in the film, but also try and emulate. I think this is the more so this time around, and you get it with the hello there with um, him trying to emulate Alec Guin- um, Alec Guinness. Um, because this time around it feels like he's trying to be more like him. And even the lines like so uncivilized, you know, it's it's a much more posher um turn for him uh this time around because he's trying to emulate um Alec Guinness into the transition into the next film, um, a new hope. But I've always appreciated Obi-Wan Kenobi because he is fundamentally a good good Jedi knight. He's a very wise individual who has who does make mistakes let's be honest and he even he admits it as well he failed anakin and yeah i i think out of all the jedi i think he's the one apart from maybe to an exception yoda although we did discuss earlier that yoda really fucked up his you know talk with anakin in regards to his dreams and um 
but basically his first cry for help. I go to the wisest person I know, and he tells me, "Yeah." And thing is, and doesn't that say that thing is that says something as well mm. because, you know, you would think you would go to his best friend, mm. you know, or who, who he sees as a potential father figure, Obi Wan, mm. but no, he goes to Yoda, mm. and he's like, "Yoda, look, I've got, I've, I've got this. You know, can you help me out?" And you mentioned it earlier, uh, Rob. This is a kid who was come from a slave upbringing. Mm-hmm. Taken away from his mother, mm-hmm. and this is you know going back to Phantom Menace, and then being put on the spot and being told about you need to forget about your mum, mm-hmm. you know that you know literally days of being stripped away from her, and you're like you need to forget all that. So from the from the very beginning, it's not a good start for him, and you know you have what's his name Kiari Mundi saying dwelling on his mother, and then you have Mace Windu being a bit of an ass mm-hmm. really. And then he continues that thread in Revenge of the Sith where he's like, I don't trust this kid, you know, and doesn't give him the rank of master and all of that sorts of stuff. But as you said, Rob, Obi-Wan, I think Obi-Wan is almost in an unwinnable position. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. Because he made mistakes. First of all, I think the biggest mistake was taking on Anakin as an apprentice because he was not ready for the challenge of training this kid. He is barely, you know, he wasn't even a Jedi Knight himself. He literally was about to undergo the trials, whatever the trials are. Exactly. Yeah. And he he didn't do it because he wanted to or the Force f- told him it was right. He did it as a promise to Qui-Gon, right? And Anakin has needed a father figure since being taken away from his mother, and he never got that. And Obi-Wan couldn't give that to him. He could only be as an older brother to mm-hmm. him, as we said, as we've seen in the end of the film, you you were my brother, Anakin. Mm. And in a way, that is the failure because I think Obi-Wan is really trying and it's in that moment that we discussed earlier when they're, they're about to be departed. He says, I've taught you everything I know and you've become a far greater Jedi than I can ever hope to mm. be. He's done everything he can, you know, and yet he still tries, which is why I think it is important to have them separated because it's those moments where... Had Obi-Wan been there, he maybe wouldn't have... Well, it's a, it's a what if, but maybe he wouldn't have fallen. Yeah, absolutely. I completely 100% agree with you on that. And I mean, I might be reading into this a bit too much as well, but also it does kind of play into the idea of the level of class difference between those two characters. They're both quite similar in their own regards. Age difference aside, you know, they've both been thrown into a situation which they cannot fully control, you know, and... Yeah, Obi Wan still takes him uh, takes up the mantle of the master at a far too early stage in his career as a Jedi Knight, and yet the Jedi respect Obi Wan more so, despite the fact that they can clearly see that Anakin is the stronger Jedi of the two. And it is it, it comes back to that word again. It's pure arrogance on the Jedi um, front to just you know say, do you know what, Anakin? You may have carried the team in the first mission and in other missions in the past, but we don't grant you the rank of master because, first of all, they can't really trust him. So I guess that is a liable decision in that regard. But also, they still see him as that kid who came from Tatooine, which is still seen as a a rough planet. You know, it's a smuggler's planet, you know. And again... But, but then on yeah. top of that, look, they don't give him the rank of master. But by the way, we need you to spy on Palpatine. Yeah, exactly. Can you, can you do that for yeah. us? You know, can, can you betray your mentor? Yeah. Who, a guy who you look to as another father figure? Mm. I think I think Obi-Wan has a line, and it's kind of one that isn't discussed as much in depth 
but it really encapsulates kind of the thought process of the Jedi at the time. It's a very flippant little line where he says, oh, I'm not brave enough for politics. It's like, you're a general in this enormous war. One scene later, you're going to ask him to spy on the president of space. And I find it so interesting because I think it's a big thing, like Lucas was making a point of in A New Hope with Han Solo, this idea of you can't be apolitical in times like this where everyone's freedoms are at stake. Mm. And uh, it's really interesting because like Obi-Wan, I'll say, is my favorite Star Wars character in like, almost all media. Mm. And in these movies, it's like he's still like Ewan McGregor is so good at playing him as like, you know, very dashing and like funny but also like, oh my God, he, he beefed it in so many cases. Hmm. Sorry, nothing like interesting to say after that. No, no, that was like a Jedi lightsaber drop right there. I liked it. I liked oh, it. Yeah, was, I liked it. He beefed, right, he beefed let's it. Let's stop recording. Oh, we're done. <laughs> we're done. Uh, we're done. <laughs> That's the podcast. <Suddenly. laughs> well, yeah, but I also think, um, I, I would say with you, McGregor, after Ian McDermott, it's probably the best performance yeah. in mm. this film, mm-hmm. I would say. Because as you said, now you do get the the fun, the wit, but you also get the emotion, man. The heartbreak. Like that, that those last few scenes, you know, when you know, you were the chosen one and you were my brother, all of that. So, and even before that, you know, the the famous line for democracy. <laughs> <laughs> it's such it's such a good like interplay between them, like, and it it's so heartbreaking. Um, and I also, I just think, we'll get into it, but I just think about everything that this film sets up mm. between those two characters of what we could possibly see in this upcoming series by Disney+. Plus. We'll get into it in a sec, but it's just juicy stuff, man. A lot of, a lot of juicy stuff. Mm. Um, but another thing I sort of want to talk about with you guys is, I mean, the reason for Anakin's fall mm-hmm. is Padme, you know, and, and that sort of love relationship. Now, where is for she? Me, is she all right? Is she is she safe? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it seems. But uh, I think she died anger. of a broken heart or something like that. <laughs> um, no, like you know, a lot of people give that a lot of slack, and mm. you know, I, I even me at that time, I was like, oh, okay, you know, and I didn't really vibe with it. But you know, over time, I've actually grown to appreciate it more because I just see it as more of a spiritual thing um, that she's so, you know overcome with grief and loss of this person that she just lost the will to live like it's i just can't do this anymore sort of thing it happens it, it can happen it happens you know? it, it, it can happen with extreme loss i um, mean not to be too morbid about this but it happened with carrie fisher and two days later debbie reynolds passed away she yes yeah, yeah. you know and they even said she was perfect i mean maybe not perfectly healthy but you you know she died of a broken heart. It can happen, and you know I've heard stories as well of other you know couples where if one passes, the other one just passes very soonly after because yeah. it, it just, happened to Johnny it, Cash when yeah. June Carter died. There we go. So, and you know I look at it now. I think it's really powerful. I think some of the execution of it is still a bit of an issue, but I think on paper. This relationship is like almost it's Romeo and Juliet in space in a way because it's meant to be this tragic love story. Um, and George is trying to tell a lot of messages and themes about this lo- love story about attachment. You know, he's not saying attachment is bad. I think what he's trying to point out is that with Anakin in particular, um, his whole deal is that he can't live without Padme. Mm-hmm. He's doing it for selfish reasons. He's like, I can't live without her. He's not thinking about that she's going to die. What's it going to be on her? 
I can't live without her. And that's exactly what Palpatine uses to manipulate him. And I just think it's so tragic because there is genuine love there. I can feel it. But sometimes, Anakin, you do things that it's not cool, man. Mm. Uh, And he he almost, I don't want to say a trophy wife, but he almost looks at her as like, she is mine. She is like a possession. Mm. Like, does does he love her or does he love having her? Yes, yeah. yes, that's that's the thing. Uh, I do believe that he does love her. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes the lines he blurred. does. It, yeah, it is. The lines are very blurred. Well, um, I mean, I, I I hate to say it because it's for me it's the worst scene in the film. But oh yeah, love has really blinded him. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, oh. That that unfortunately is like some of the the leftovers from Attack of the Clones. Yeah, that, I, do you, you know, know what? I'm so glad you said this because. This is where my problem with attack, um, with Revenge of the Sith is, is that, yes, I do buy the fact that they are in a relationship and, you know, they're clearly lovers and, you know, they love each other. I totally buy all of that. However, the fact is you still have the leftovers, as you said, of Attack of the Clones here. And in that one scene alone, that's where you get the, oh, OK, George, maybe you should have cut this one bit. That would have been fine. Uh, you know, you already set up the fact that, you know, you know, everything's cool sort of you know obviously he got the pregnancy well, oh I shit I, but i think yeah. you need a scene like that you but do it's, it, it, it's the execution of it yeah it, it, exactly it's, it's the dialogue and the performance of the dialogue that just doesn't come quite across yeah no exactly but, yeah. and i and, just think with oh sorry go on go on man. oh no i was gonna say and it's funny because what you're saying again with like the performance and dialogue like even when i was young these two never worked for me as a couple but now that i'm older i think the best scene in this whole movie is that wordless cutting back and forth of them when he's about to make that decision because these movies ruminations yeah the ruminations because these movies you know even people who loved them would say like they're very wordy and like i said there's a lot of sitting down and talking or walking very slowly and talking and that is a moment i always think it could be silent cinema everything comes across without a word being said and that's like a period where i think hayden christensen actually does like really beautiful work no hate on him Mm -hmm. at all i think he is good but I think that is his best work in this film. This is the scene that I always say to Agreed. people that if people say to me that George Lucas isn't a good director, I say, watch that scene. Well, first of all, watch American Graffiti. <laughs> and secondly, go and watch that scene because... And thirdly, watch yeah. yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> watch, <laughs> look at yourself in the mirror. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I that scene uh, for me is just beautifully directed it's beautifully chosen in terms of its shot and it's lit perfectly well again the the light versus the dark side in both those scenes it's just so and the the score i mean we'll come back to the score don't get me wrong but that score in that moment is the only time you feel this sense of a like haunting horror movie-esque to it and it's you know the tension is built up to a Mm. point where Palpatine's voice yeah, over as well it, in Anakin's yes. Exactly. And it just, it really, really works. So whenever people say like, oh, George Lucas isn't a good director in this, I'm like, dude, watch that scene. He's he's chosen like the best coverage for it. He's chosen the best actors for those. And those are the two, it, that's the reason why he hired them for that specific moment, really. I mean, obviously you can argue with Attack of the Clones, but, and that's that was my point I was going to say was that with Attack of the Clones, um, it still carries through to this film, which is why I think a lot of people brought that baggage with them. But if you watch this as a standalone piece, it works perfectly fine. But because it is tied to Attack of the Clones with the whole, mm. you know, I don't like sand and all of that stuff. You know, people still brought sand with them to the screening. Let's put it that way. They did. They, they did. did. Yeah. Um, but 
Just coming, just want to sum up really quickly about George Lucas and his um, direction in particular, because I know I'll probably get a lot of slack for this, but I generally think that this is the best piece of directing George Lucas has done for the Star Wars movies, like in all of the Star Wars films he did. Because when you look at A New Hope, faster, more intensity was the most common thing he said on set. He didn't have complete creative control. He um didn't have all of the finances in place for it he didn't have his complete vision which is why he keeps changing it each time um and McClunky. yeah <laughs> it didn't god have the technology it. from god, McClunky. god damn it jake um <laughs> um yes um and i hope to one day make that film actually by the way that that would be my ideal like i i don't think see myself making a star wars movie but if i made a star wars story that would be george lucas a star wars story the making of episode four because you hear about the behind the scenes stories and it's absolutely remarkable how that movie got made but my point is is that i feel like revenge of the sith is where and i and i can see why probably george has you know pretty much decided you know what i don't need to make another movie after this i've made all the movies i wanted to make because this is the thing i've had in my dream in my lifetime i've always pictured and imagined this final battle this finale did it yeah i did it and he did it with the choices that he made and he can't blame anyone but himself really because you know and it doesn't by i think we're all clear in saying this revenge of the sith is not a failure of a film by the way it's actually more successful than people give it credit for and it's Hey, I wouldn't say any of the prequels well, are famous. No, but, uh, 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 now, twenty years later, yeah. I you know I wouldn't say any of them are famous. No, but what I mean is like people like to badmouth these movies in that way. So I just think people need to really you know really look back at these and look at the detail that's gone into them. But in particular with Revenge of the Sith, because this is George's decisions from start um, to the middle and to the end of it all. You know, all of it is George's vision. You know, his it's his communication with. The VFX artists, the costume designers, everything is all down to his choices. And you see it in the documentary as well. Also, can we please get more documentaries like that about how they mm. make these movies again? Like, I I still watch that making of documentary because you get like a, a wonderful way of the breakdown of film and filmmaking. And you do see the level of craft in it. And in those two minutes of the scene that they talk about, you just go fuck me so many people so many talented people worked on this film and it was all brought together by this one guy with this one vision so my point in case is that this is the best um film george lucas directed in terms of star wars that's that's a bold claim that's a quite a bold claim i'd say um now where do you go on that as well where, where, out of the four that he's done where would you say a new hope or would you say any of the prequels is his best directed I think I would have to lean a new hope because I know I get what you're saying, Rob, about mm. him not having complete creative control. But I think in some ways that may have helped him like kind of collaborating more, if that's fair to say. Just yeah, this that's idea fair. like that's fair. it's a masterfully edited film. Yes. Uh, a new hope is. And I think it's got such a pace and energy, which amazingly now like that's, peers, people my to... age like to say, oh, that one's pretty boring. I was like, what are you crazy? This is like the quintessential I know, it, blockbuster. It's, it's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Like, with how f- it's the fastest paced Star Wars film out of all nine. Yeah. Mm. 11, and people are like, oh, it's kind of boring. It's amazing to me. Because <laughs> I was thinking when you said this might be the best directed, um, Anakin's Ruminations might be the best directed scene he's ever done. For me, I was kind of pushing, because this is, I think, the most important scene to me in the saga 
is the scene where they're in Obi-Wan's house and he's telling him mm. all this history. And it could be argued it's Alec Guinness's performance. Obviously, he's one of the all-time greats. But as a child, just a scene where someone sits down with an old man and he just talks at him and my brain is just firing like a clone war what is this like the force and just the fact that he could sell all this because on paper in the 70s i get why producers didn't want to make this movie because it does sound like gibberish Mm. i'm reading the the making of it at the moment um on like on my kindle Mm. and reading through the early drafts i was like this is like not a film i get why brian de palma bullied him yeah not that i uh, encouraged bullying i think (laughs) i think carrie fisher put it best with the um I have placed vital information to the survival of the rebellion inside this R2 unit. And you're like, this is, what is this? You know, what is this language? What is this? What is this? this? My my favorite one, my favorite one is when I don't, it's a long line, but it's the one that Mark Hamill was one of the famous lines he has to say as Luke Skywalker for his his edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember, but it's really long and complex. And then I remember Mark Hamill like reading it and then going, who talks like this? <laughs> you can write the stuff, but you can't say, say it. it. Yeah, that's, I think uh, that's that Harrison um, Ford. Harrison yeah, Ford. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think with the um, that sort of stuff as well. Like, I think with the prequels, I I do agree with you in a sense of like, I think this could be George Lucas's magnum opus mm. in a way. Yeah, I don't. I I would probably say not for me personally. A New Hope is a better directed film, but in a way, I would say that. Revenge of the Sith is this is my heart and soul. This is my life's work mm. poured into the one film. I've completed it. I've told my spanning saga story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think there's some. Uh, so that's how I sort of like look at Revenge of the Sith. Uh, him, like. Again, this is why it's such a debatable thing because uh, yeah. at the end of the day, um, and this is just something I was taught. So I'm kind of contradicting myself a little bit now, but. Um, one of the things that my film school professor taught me was 90% of directing is choosing your casting. And I do fundamentally believe that that is quite an interesting way of putting it. George would say otherwise. George would, exactly. (laughs) George would say otherwise. But his biggest choice he had to make um, back in 1975, 76 was who is going to play Luke Skywalker? Who's going to play Princess Leia? And who's going to play Han Solo? Because um, those are the three that are going to carry the film. And also, you know, the wonderful Bristolian Dave Prowse to play Darth Vader. You know, and the casting is essential within that film, within itself. And, you know, again, you're currently reading at the moment, Niall, about the, the making of Star Wars. So you know that it was, there was so much to this. You know, it was, it, again, it's a miracle it was made at all. Um, whereas I feel like now that, uh, with Revenge of the Sith, he already made the choices of casting the people that he chose, and rightly so. Like you've got some really fine actors in this film. You know, people who even went on to do greater things as well. So he not only movie stars. yeah, exactly movie star. They went on to movie stardom, like, and you know, and he even boosted the careers of those who hadn't been discovered yet. And now there's a new audience for them now, and and that is to be commended as well but it also as it comes back to the beginning which is what i said about the technology pushing the art and art pushing technology that is his philosophy that he's carried through all the way to revenge of the sith and i think that's why for me 
I see that as George's best directed work for Star Wars. Now we could always argue what is his best film, but like for me right now, it would, in terms of his directing of Star Wars, it is Revenge of the Sith for me because it's so meticulously detailed that film. I I, I can't argue with that. Yeah. I'm going to say another maybe a controversial topic. Mm-hmm. I think Revenge of the Sith is John Williams' best work on a Star Wars film. Yeah, now, now look, don't get Go me on. wrong. I love his stuff on the original trilogy. It's what made him, you know, I, it's iconic. It's the Star Wars music, course, you know? Of course, Imperial March and stuff like that. But I feel, in Revenge of the Sith particularly, while a lot of the original trilogy is very theme-based, very anthem-based... I feel with Revenge of the Sith, a lot of the music is narratively fo- driven and focused, especially scenes like Padme's ruminations um, or even the opening scene of the, you know, the drums of the boom, mm. boom, well, boom. Well, you Jay, know, and then the, the, I, th- I think fittingly yeah. for like one of the best scenes of film, I think it is opera. I think he there's like a very strong opera throughout the whole the opera film. stuff out there as well. Exactly. Yeah. I think. And very much like George Lucas, you know, John Williams is thinking, this is the last one I'm going to do. I'm going to experiment and do stuff I haven't done before in the Star Wars saga. And that's why I really think he's pouring his full creative output on this. And like, this is the last one I'm going to do. I'm going to go for some weird stuff. But people are going to love it because he's John Williams. And I think from theme-based and from a narratively driven based uh, music i think this is his best work on a star wars film love the empire strikes Ooh. back and i also would give a big shout out to his work on the last jedi because i think that's really good as well i think this might take the case though like some of those tracks especially that order 66 music Ooh, my yeah. god yeah so emotional so powerful and there's a reason why they keep using that piece of music every time they like go back to Order 66 from a different perspective and, you know, the different medias that are out there. Like, it's so, so good. I, I'm going to... So, <laughs> well, okay. You basically said the three best scores for me. So I, I love the Revenge of the Sith score. I think it's wonderful. I think the Empire Strikes Back um, score is a masterpiece. And I think The Last Jedi is a beautiful Star Wars score. Now, I cannot choose, and I, I know it's a cop-out from me, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry to everyone listening. It is a it is a cop-out, but I cannot honestly choose. That's like you now asking me, what's the best John Williams score? Do not ask me to do that. You know, do not ask me to, to do that, because it's just so... He's done so many incredible pieces of music for film, and... Oh my god, just you you can't do this to me. And it's the same thing with Star Wars right now. Like you can ask me any other Star Wars question, you know, did I join the Jar Jar Binks Appreciation Society? Yes, I bloody did. Yes, uh, yes I it's called did. the Monday Lorians. No, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Ahmed Best. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um but yeah, um I, I cannot I can't choose. So I I, I can't Ad, uh, that's fair. Yeah. I, I'm not making you no, choose. No, I'm I just, know. I'm, I just, I'm just saying my piece. No, of course, um, but I, I, I yeah. like I fundamentally agree with you, but I can't say whether or not it is the best because Oh, there's I you know, it's you just can't. It's like you can't pick your favourite children. You can, but you shouldn't. But yeah, you know, I can't do it. Well, well yeah, 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 I can't do it. I love it. Uh I, I've got a very specific one and it might be a bit of a cheat, but 
I didn't realize this was my favorite till a moment in my life. Years ago, I used to go to silent discos quite often. Oh, yeah. There was a, a, a pub I loved near me, and I never thought I'd like them, but I really got into them for some reason. And during the summer, this beautiful hot summer in Galway, we did an outdoors one, so they blocked off the street. And, you know, just playing like all the stuff you expect. Then suddenly the Star Wars theme begins, and everyone goes, Way! Everyone's parading out, but it keeps going into the blockade runner. And it just like, is it, are they going to do the whole freaking film? And they didn't. <laughs> but in that moment, I realized I can see every frame of the Star, mm. of Star Wars in my head. And then I got to think, imagine you're a kid in 1977 sitting down to see this film you've never heard of, and the Star Wars theme begins. Mm. Like how that changes your perception of film music at that point. So I know it's a cheat, but it's where he made most of the themes that continue. But I think the original... Yeah kind of wins out for me i can't argue no, with that I either, can I. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing like it's and it's got so many amazing little themes like even the jawa music i love the jungland wastes the x uh, uh, tie fighter attack it's just perfection. oh the trench runs oh, yeah. yeah dude if you're gonna tell stuff. me that they played the cantina theme like my god like oh god. that would have been fights would have broken yeah. up <laughs> and we would have got so raucous so quickly <laughs> love it i love it but yeah, but jo- I mean, John Williams being John Williams as always. Mm. Like, he's, uh, he's returning for the theme of Obi Wan for the theme on Kenobi. He is very excited. Th- he 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 has said it now. He says this is it. He says this is. Th- <laughs> he this- said that last he time. Said that this- well, yeah, but he's actually said, I'm retiring of Star Wars after this, and I'm like, eh, fair enough. I love also that he personally called up Kathleen Kennedy and was like, "Hey, c- can I do the theme for for Ben for Benny?" He called him for Ben. I never got to, to write a theme for Benny back in the day. Because I'm um, like, oh, I love this guy. Because mm. yeah, very under, under, underappreciated, I think, is his little theme he made for Solo. The like little Han Solo, like adventurous yeah. mm. Indiana Jones esque thing. I thought I thought that was a really lovely piece. I think in I, general I, I, that I, movie is a great score. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, that that movie. We'll do another discussion on that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Especially after Kathleen Kennedy's latest comments, I think that uh, maybe deserves another look back. We're, we're finally becoming one of those podcasts where we talk a little dirt on Kathleen. Yeah, we, well, we've well, always been pro, but she. You know, we've always, you know, sometimes you know people make mistakes. Don't hate the talent. <laughs> don't hate. Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> um, right. Let's get into this. Uh, what, Rob, what, what we've talked a lot about this movie, about the performance, the grand scale. What do you think is the lasting I- impact on Revenge of the Sith for you? What's the lasting impact? Um, yeah. Oh, I think for me, and it's probably the reason why people pay to t- to to see this movie to to get their ticket and their you know their popcorn's worth is it's the final duel. I think that's the thing that you take away the biggest imp- thing the most is is the duel of fate. You know, it is the ultimate. I think it's the battle of heroes, isn't it? The the score, uh, the battle of the heroes, the battle yep. of the heroes, the, long, uh, the longest cinematic sword fight in history. There you go. Really, it is. There yeah. you go. Um, and I could totally believe it because even I thought the other it's day, a bit long yeah, at times. yeah, it's a bit long. <laughs> uh, it is a bit long. Um, I and the only, but the fact of the matter is, you get ev- you get your bucks worth, don't you? And I, I th- are we collectively in agreement that this is. Probably the best Star Wars lightsaber duel. Can we honestly say that? In what in what sense? Because it wouldn't be for me. Uh, oh, okay, uh, okay. Actually, no, no, no. So both 
narratively and choreographically, no, it is okay. not the best. Fine. Movie. I think in terms of all right. So, and I'm gonna do this, and I'm I hate to do this to you, man, but I'm gonna throw it out there. I saw a wonderful go. film recently, which you might have heard of, called uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and uh, the directors and Michelle Yeoh said. Um, the drama is uh, the the action is only enhanced by the drama itself, and I think you can fundamentally throw that in with this film um, because mm-hmm. choreography a bit flamboyant, yes, and overly choreographed to one side. This is the Jedi fucking knights in their prime. It has to be fucking badass, and they're brothers. They are master and uh, Padawan fighting finally, and you know it's uh, dare I say. It, when the lava just rises up and everything else, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, it, I was yeah. just going to say orgasmic, but yeah, let's go with cinema. Um, it yeah. is just explosive <laughs> lava. You know, it. Come on, it's George saying uh, this is your bucks yeah. worth right here. And also in- interlacing with Yoda versus the yeah, Emperor. Exactly. Like, come on, like it's yeah. Like... I, I I get what you say, Rob, and it's funny because everything you're saying there is what. I kind of emotionally applied to my favorite, which mm. is the, the final fight and return of the Jedi. Yeah. But, which is the absolute opposite in terms of it is in one room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite pared down. And it's, I think, just some really nice breathing room between the fights and the build up to it. And that bit where Luke goes mental mm. is, I, I think, my favorite moment in the series that, like, choir like music, oh, that so track, good. that, like, tracking. Mm. Oh. The eyes Incredible. of God shot, basically from above. Yeah. It's, oh, it's very powerful that as well. Seeing, yeah, yeah, and I, just like yeah. the the devil in his chair watching this and cackling. Oh, <laughs> sorry, this is not. That's not the movie this is about. But just because we're talking about, hey man, our favorite lines. It's it's all one story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's funny because I think maybe I'm. I just lean maybe towards the minimalism more than the maximalism because I do think this one goes a bit too crazy sometimes when they're like hopping on those little robots <laughs> and falling on the thing and it's just case it's like there's really great stuff in the emotion but I think the whole fight could have taken place on that little lava bank at the end where they actually have dialogue mm. and I'd be like yeah that's a pretty cool fight mm. Mm. I do like the yeah. fact that they do kind of go old school with fencing on the um, the, the, the kind of like singular pillar they're kind of just yeah. going like a. They're doing because I. Uh, <laughs> I know that George. We're on first name terms. Remember, yeah, I know that yeah, George yeah. loves the original uh, Adventures of Robin Hood, and um, he mm. um, pays homage to that. And I think it might even be an homage in like Return of the Jedi as well as Empire as well, where it's, it's a lot all of swinging on ropes. Yeah, well, there you go, swinging on <laughs> ropes. There you go. Um, but yeah, the whole like shadow lightsaber dueling and everything else, and you've got them just basically fencing on top of this like small thin pillar thing and um as i said i just i think it's you know in storytelling it's the central theme of the conflict which is the good versus evil finally clashing swords with one another and then as i said the orgasmic lava rising up to really symbolize it the most clashing you know? swords orgasmic you're choosing yeah. some interesting words here. Yeah, maybe know we mean, saw man. a different film <laughs> different experiences man it's, different this experiences. is a 12 yeah, right yeah, this is <laughs> I was watching Revenge of Her Sith. Um, yes. Yeah, well, so. I'll tell you what, Whoa. Anakin couldn't walk after it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Burned yes. After that. Love it. Amazing. Moving on. Moving on. We may have gone too far in a few places. Move along. Move along. Move along. Move along. I mean, no, I'm with you. Okay. 
it is good, but then we also we can excuse the yeah yeah yeah. You know when then both of them are just swinging their lightsabers, um, and I'm just like, what's the purpose here? Like, okay, it looks cool, but come on, like that's it. That little sequence seems like strangely animated to me when mm. they're doing that and then they do it the does. force push that they fly apart i was like that's like kind of like dragon ball z how they react when they punch each other mm. that's kind of the extent of my anime knowledge there but yeah i like to see the influences you know because I, I was when i saw akira for the first time like a few years ago i was thinking like what was this something for coruscant or was that definitely more blade runner I, i'm always yeah. interested in what he's seen because like you said mm. rob I love that bit in the beginning, the Phantom Menace documentary, where I think he's watching Buster Keaton. Mm. And you can see where, like, Jar Jar is starting to come from because he's, he's watching, like, how do they do that? I was like, okay. <laughs> I see. I love the idea that he's combining, like, one of the oldest cinema entertainers with, like, the most advanced technology of the age. Like, mm. it is crazy how he branches these things. He's one of a kind. He's one of a kind. Lucas. Our friend George. Our friend George. Our friend George. In George, we trust. <laughs> <laughs> what what about you Niall? like what what's the lasting impact of this film for you i think what's really struck me just about the prequels as as time's gone on is i think pre the star wars prequels own the word prequel i think you say just the word isolated prequel to anyone and they think of the star wars prequels maybe that's a crazy thing to say but i think it, it put the term on the map and i think it they kind of they all kind of changed the way people view storytelling in that sense. I know there were prequels before this, but I think it made it so that people like... I don't, oh. thi- I don't think anyone ever really called them prequels, though. Yeah, I don't know if it was even a very well-known term, perhaps. But yeah. but now it's such a... And the idea of making a trilogy that does end with tragedy, with misery, with the rise of fascism, with uh, Natalie Portman dead. Who does that? <laughs> but, you know... Like to end on such a bummer because I know Empire did get flack at the time for ending on a bum note and a bit of a cliffhanger, and this one does the opposite. Where it ends on extreme bum note, but because of pop culture, everyone knows mm. this does have a happy ending. And I think even at my most cynical with Star Wars, when I'd watch this film, and for a period I didn't get much from it again, uh, it, it comes in waves. But those those final shots, even though they are like really playing to the cheap seats of like, oh, the Death Star is being built, like seeing like the kids getting delivered to their parents and that final shot, it has always like choked me up a little bit, you know, especially when I know like the kind of stuff that maybe I'm more connected to is about to happen, but to see these connections happen and yeah, there's, there's something really magical that this exists. Like you said, Rob, that a man made so much success of the world's at the time, most successful indie movie. And it was for a very long time that he then had the money to not deal with studios, to just make the films he wanted to. Like, I do think he gave into peer pressure in some ways. I do imagine if it was his original plans, Jar Jar would have been a huge part of all these films. And I think that is a shame. And I think the way people react to his films is ridiculous, absurd. The way they reacted to Ahmed Best and poor Jake Lloyd is disgusting. And I, I really wish that was something like the people who didn't like the new ones took more to heart with the way they've been treating people involved with the new ones it's it's a strange cycle and i hope we can get better from it but i think the theme of revenge of the sith is times can be dark the good times will come the good people will come and uh, i almost said something profound but i, <laughs> I fluffed no, no, it no. there are good times no. ahead yeah no that's, that's beautiful i'm really glad you brought that up because 
when you were talking about that, it reminded me of a lot of people, even myself at times in my younger days, going, well, this film actually should have been darker than it was. You know, uh, we, we should have seen Vader like slaughter a Jedi and, and, you know, and all these things like that. And, you know, and we and some people saying the last shot should have been Vader and Palpatine, you know, not, and I'm and I'm like, I think people you're missing the point of what George is trying to say and what these films and stories are for. Ultimately, they're about hope and they're a fairy tale. They need to have a happy ending. And that is why you end with that last shot of the twin sons and Luke. You don't end with Vader and Palpatine because that's just depressing. <laughs> like, um. So yeah, I, I agree with you now. Like amongst this huge dark film, there is hope within it, and that's what I also love about Rogue One—that it's so serious and takes itself quite dark and seriously. But it's, it's the central theme is that hope. Um, but on that, I do love the villains, and I do like the dark stuff when it can, when it can have its fun. And for me, the lasting impact is—it is Palpatine's plan and this grand theme that George was trying to say of like. Don't trust corporations. Don't trust governments blindly just because they're, you know, feed, you know, they're telling you this propaganda. Don't easily listen to what these people are saying. Question them. Think about it and don't easily give in to fear. You know, or else you will be, you know, it will become a tyranny over like I think that's a bigger thing of what he's trying to say. And it's funny how as the years go by Revenge of the Sith, in particular, gets more and more relevant to the real world we're living in, and in how we deal with politics and how we deal with economics, and the 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 class system that we're living in at the minute, especially in the the Western world. Well, the most most of the world really, but this film is more relevant than ever, I think, in and how it approaches politics and the the corruption of governments. And the and the the use of systems, the manipulation of systems, for people's selfish benefits. Uh, that's what I take away from this film, amongst this huge, amazing fantasy storytelling. Well said, by the way. I think that's um, that's a really, really important point actually to mention all of what you've just said, mm. especially in regards to the politics and the way that uh, we view the world as of right now. And yeah, as over time, retrospectively, I think this film does. Um, get more and more respect for the themes it does tackle and also um, the subtleties of certain themes that are now being brought to light as well. Um, and just to bring it back from a filmmaking perspective as well, it changed the game. Let's be honest, it pushed forward in terms of digital filmmaking as well. Like, um, like even when you watch like it now, like I'm, I'm, I made my points earlier about Attack of the Clones not really holding up um, technologically wise in terms of its digital filmmaking but actually this film like it's a gorgeously lit film it's a really well produced film in certain areas and you, you know we've always made fun of the whole talking and walking in corridors and stuff like that and it does baffle me even now when someone says to you there's a Sith Lord running a government and the first thing you're going to do is walk to your ship not run to the ship you know <laughs> if you found that out straight away you'd be like holy fucking shit let's get our lightsabers and go but they don't do that they walk and talk as it has been pointed out but limitations of the technology people like when you're w working with green screen and blue screen you can't do it completely just like that you would have to build an entire set for that and you know there was a time in which george would be willing to do that and you'd be very surprised to see that they 
they did build a lot of sets within this. Not a lot of people realize that Mustafar is actually a combination of old school filmmaking with practical filmmaking with new modern techniques of filmmaking. Like they went with to documentary s- filmmaking as well. Exactly yeah, with documentary well, yeah. filmmaking. They went to Sicily and filmed uh, the the. Uh, Mount Etna there. Uh, well, it, uh, yeah. Ron, Ron Frick yeah Ron Frick one of the greatest like nature documentarians of all time yeah. he said can you come in and just get Mustafa exactly like, that's an amazing thing exactly and it's the like the big like the trilogy itself it's the beginning middle of end of what modern movie making is right now it's old school meeting the new school and that's what I think the legacy of the Revenge of the Sith is pushing forward. And we're now seeing it now mm-hmm. with Kenobi, with their new boundaries of um, filmmaking pushing mm-hmm. even further forward. Yeah. Well, I, I'd like to give credit that to The Mandalorian. Of course. Of re- course. Really, p- p- yeah. yeah. And that's where I think Lucasfilm, now in the Disney era, that's where I, I, I'm seeing a lot of pros because absolutely some of the technology is still not maybe where they want it to mm. be. And some things need to be worked on, but I love that it's still keeping into the spirit of George of going. Why not? Mm. We've got this technology. Let's use it. Let's push it forward because it, you're only going to get better through trial and error. And uh, Rob, the only reason Revenge of the Sith is as good as it looks is because Attack of the Clones had to be do the be the true. first one. That is true. And I will. I you will... don't get a Revenge of the Sith without getting Attack of the Clones. That first. is true. And and George learning with Attack of the Clones, all his mistakes, okay, well, this is where I learned, this is where I'm going to apply the new techniques and new skills on the third film. And that also comes back to my point about the him directing, by the way. So you're actually helping my point. Well, <laughs> not, not that we were debating it. But, uh, <laughs> but what, one last thing, just for me anyway, on this kind of subject, is I find really interesting, because we were talking earlier about the idea of this being the end of Star Wars, but even like before Disney, this was never the end, because... George's sights were next Clone on... Clone Wars. <laughs> well, not just Clone Wars. Before that, live-action television, they were oh, developing. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we we seen from leak footage, the technology they were trying to use for that mm-hmm. is the technology used now for the Mandalorian developed over so long. Like, the volume in its infancy, so to speak. And obviously, he was pushing it with video games as well. Like, The Force Unleashed at the time was a much higher budget thing, much more intricately entwined in the story directly you could say but mm. that's an episode for another time because i know dave really wants to discuss force unleashed um but no, i just thought it's fascinating that we can see like the monday Lorian obviously was such a huge thing it's like it kind of got everyone talking and this is something that he was thinking of like right after avengers sift this idea of this mm. post return the jedi oh so no it's post avengers sift sorry story yeah, it's po- told yeah. in the volume but it was going to cover a lot of things there's scripts about young palpatine in a vault somewhere mm. that i would just give anything to read i would love i would love to read i that, hope yeah. it happens one day but i just want to give a shout out for the the tech side of it like you said rob he was always pushing technology and we're seeing the fruits of it today mm-hmm. there's also i love in um in some of the disney gallery of the monday lorian the behind the scenes the stuff. monday lorian you, know, you said it <laughs> the, man- I keep- <laughs> the mandalorian um there's a couple of episodes uh, where you do see George Lucas. You can see him. They've brought him into the volume and he's looking around and he's giving like a little TED talk to the crew and all that. And, and I can just see in his eye as he's like looking around at the volume. I'm seeing it. He's like, I could probably do the prequel special editions now. In oh, dear. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I just have this feeling. He's looking at it going, hmm, 
This is what I wanted to do. The technology is here. Maybe I can go back and touch up those prequels. I'll tell you what, Jake. My my greatest dream from a future Star Wars TV show, uh, let's say, I don't know what it would be, watch the very first episode, and then at the end see directed by George Lucas. Oh, oh my God. That would be such a... I would love it. That would, would be, like, quite possibly the biggest twist like for anyone mm. to turn around, and then yeah, and they have to really keep yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, because it, it happened for me a few times in the in the, the Mandalorian. We're getting another episode. I was like, oh, oh, they got her, him, mm. you know, like I th- they can keep it a secret. They've got that workflow. They, they I think have, I said yeah. the same. I mean, that would I think them. I said this to Jake them. when I first watched the episode. I was like, this is so fucking badass. Who directed this Boba Fett action? And then it comes up with directed by Robert Rodriguez, and I went, oh come on, of course, <laughs> it makes total sense now, of course. Who else would have got rocket knees? Of course. He got a fucking dick gun in his previous movies. Of course it was him. I just want to say, Rob, I, it's, it's never been like a rule on this show. It's like an unspoken thing where we like avoid swearing. Oh, God, I'm forgotten. so sorry. No, don't. It's not a rule, but I love not hearing it. Okay. So I've, I've always wanted to scream dick gun on the show. <laughs> I think, I think we're, crossing, we're crossing a threshold in the show. We're evolving. This is the darker episode, everyone. Is, it's oh, fitting. It's very <laughs> fitting. It's revenge of this. Yeah, this is what happened when Dave's not on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Things get out of hand. <laughs> so uncivilized. Dave is, uh, for, for the listeners, Dave is busy with the uh, sieges and the outer rims. Ah, yes. Yeah. Uh, we won't be seeing him for a while. Um, <laughs> Ominous. <laughs> uh, right, let's get into the last one, the, the exciting one. As I mentioned up top, with the, the reason we're, do, we're looking at Revenge of the Sith is because we have... Limited series premiering on Disney Plus, May 27th. Obi-Wan Kenobi, starring Ewan McGregor, back as the character. Hayden Christensen is coming back as Darth Vader. Maybe Anakin Skywalker, question mark. We'll get into that. Um, It takes place 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, so right in the middle between Sith and A New Hope. Rob, talk to me, man. What are you thinking about this show? What, What are some of the story threads and some of like stuff that we l- talked about in Revenge of the Sith that could be a big central focus in this show. You do not bring Hagen Christensen back just to play Darth Vader. I'm sorry. You just don't. You need to have more scenes like the opening where you've got them on adventures, or at least one adventure, um, and them bantering backwards and forwards. Like I even love the moment where he's like, ninth time that that one on that other planet doesn't count you know Kate thank you yeah, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't count. count um i would love that actually be to be the the thing that opens the episode the series where you've got this loving brotherly friendship and it's them on the the ninth time like that they that he saved his life or something like that i would actually love for that to be the opening um i think what we are going to see is um more of um a crime like just from the trailer because i've only seen the first trailer i didn't watch the second one i've purposely avoided the second trailer so i don't know if there's been a reveal of anything i i've i've heard that they have revealed that darth vader is is there um even though we hear his breathing and they've also said in interviews it's not it's not it's not a reveal as you think oh okay fine it's, it's, they, i i think they did it quite tastefully okay. personally but uh, well, again i've not seen the trailer so it's it's not like we didn't know he was in the show like, yeah yeah yeah, like yeah, yeah sure yeah um but i i like the idea that the that there's going to be almost like a um, uh neo noir kind of city 
Deathscape kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I quite like that. Um, maybe the return of like Coruscant, like Death Stick sales. Um, Want to buy some Death Sticks? Um, I quite like that idea as well, that we're going to be deep diving into the kind of ground level Star Wars. Um, and you know me, Jake, I love my ground level storytelling. So I, I think this this is going to be um, really cool. And I think it will probably be most likely a love letter to the prequels as well as the original trilogy, of course, as well, because you've got modern sto- um current well i say not modern but the 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 new aesthetic of stormtroopers as well which i think for um ewan mcgregor and um hayden christensen it's a wonderful kind of callback for them to be um seeing the original aesthetic being unfolded even further um i'm i'm really excited i'm very hopeful that um that we get something which is ultimately fun but pushes um, the relationship between these two characters even further and I would love to know what their final battle is clearly going to be between those two before I've been waiting for you Obi-Wan we beat again rematch of the century yeah the rematch of the century that's that's what that's what Kathleen Kennedy has called it the rematch of the century yeah. so so big big bold words coming there uh Niall where do you go with this? Now we've we've been speaking about this show now for quite a while, like since its announcement. Think, even before that, when oh, yeah. we thought maybe it was going to be a movie at one point, mm. remember all those all those years ago. Um, so where's your head at now with this show? My head's at it's it's interesting because I was thinking back to the Investor Day episode we did way back when it was officially announced that it was going to be kind of a rematch. And we we kind of instantly had a bit of a disagreement where I was kind of unsure whether... For me, I'm still not 100% sold on the rematch as a thing. Because mm-hmm. I don't... Well, obviously, it can only end one way, really, mm. in terms of that outcome. I notice a lot that it could say about both the characters and where they're at, which is all well and good. But I'm just not 100% on the premise. However, I can't help but be really excited. Because like I've said, this is my favorite character finally getting his chance in the spotlight and i do i concede i wish it was a movie because it feels like they're building up that kind of movie hype and i know tv shows can be great don't get me wrong but there is i just miss star wars in the big screen and i think i say it every episode I, I'm, I'm with you man I'm i need it dude and i think if anything deserved it right now it would be the idea of doing this kind of maybe the closest thing to like a a direct sequel specifically to Revenge of the Sith, you know, mm. uh, which is really interesting. It's kind of like the it's kind of like the Creed two to Rocky four. I don't know if any Rocky heads out there <laughs> are listening. Me and Dave talk about Rocky a lot. I'm sure you do. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Rocky four is a masterpiece. I'll say it. Yeah. Oh, I, I I love almost all of those movies, but um, I've I've got some things I'm worried about, and this is the big one, and this is not saying i thought of till my girlfriend watched the trailer and she's she loves star wars she's hasn't watched any of the other shows but she loves obi-wan and she really likes prequels so obviously this speaks to her when she watched the trailer she said that looks cool but i hope i don't have to watch a hundred other things to get it and that is like a little fear through these shows now because a lot of them do tie to animated series like the inquisitors she was in see like oh there's more sif and i was like uh I don't have yep. to do the like, yep. uh, especially cliche like boyfriend like oh actually, you know. But I get it because this is a big thing, and Doctor Strange two has just come out, and it's been a big discussion. Should you have to watch an entire TV show to understand a movie? 
And intertwined storytelling has that problem. And I don't mind if, like, Inquisitors are cool craps in it, so long as they don't leave people not up to speed or know when to go into detail and when to not. I think Star Wars is for everyone. And the big problem with doing things like this is you do turn it into, like, a homework-based thing where, like, Mm -hmm. people who really dive in get so much more out of it and other people are left a bit cold. Like, it's a big dichotomy on Twitter I saw when Cad Bane showed up in Book of Boba Fett. Half the people who are like, yay! Half the people are like, who? <laughs> mm. And the character's yep. cool in his own right, but I think the emphasis on him is baffling as a way to introduce someone new. And I know this has been gone very rambly, but this is also a little bit of my fears of just the current state of Star Wars. Don't worry, I'm not a cynic, but there are just certain things. Like Book of Boba Fett, we had a bit... A little bit of a tumultuous relationship on the podcast. No one's bitter. We're not upset. Jeez, there's a lot of great stuff in there. But overall, I think it just felt like it never quite found its feet. And I really hope, because this is, it sounds like this is going to be a limited series. I'm really hopeful because Deborah Chow, I think, has done amazing work in these shows so far. And I think she's directing every episode. I just really hope this is like a really beautiful, cohesive piece of Star Wars. And also just please no cgi no cgi reanimated actors or anything like that i don't know oh, who yeah, they would yeah. do but i'm just so happy like uncle owen is back and aunt Beru yeah. played by the actors the only i just love yeah. seeing actors yeah yes. i think the only actor yes. emphasis on actors yeah. Yeah. living actors I, I think the only <laughs> character that we may see is tarkin and that one i think they got away with Maybe. slightly with rogue one i think that's just me yeah, I think. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll get to who I think in a second. Um, yeah, okay, here we go. Now, this is a story that I've not heard. In lo- no, th- I've been thinking about this potential story since 2005, since I saw Revenge of the Sith. Um, cause I- and since then, I've always thought about the time in between the two films and Obi-Wan's journey and Obi-Wan's state of mind in this period of going through PTSD, going through this incredible loss. Just imagine that your, your entire life wiped away in basically an evening. The entire system you were brought up on, all your friends and mentors killed. The very It's like the killing uh, joke. One yeah, bad the day very, takes us one, one day. bad day, yeah. The very government you defended upturned to become into a fascist state, you know, and then now you have been given the child of your brother who, in my opinion, I think Obi-Wan thinks he's killed him by the end of Revenge of the Sith, or if not even directly killed him, he thinks Anakin's about to die at that point. I have to watch over this kid now. What is going through his state of mind at this point? That's what I'm really interested in. What's the emotional connection? That, Ever since the, the rumors of it being a movie, I've been thought about, oh, this is going to be... I even thought maybe they could go for like a Logan approach, you know, like a sort of character study. I know, Niall, you're not a fan of Logan, but... <laughs> I was just trying but, to place it in my head how the story yeah, would work. But yeah. Not quite like <laughs> exactly like Logan, but that sort of like character study, you know, uh, a sort of more thought-provoking, slower-down sort of pace of a movie. Um, not as much action, you could say. But then, you know, with the series and then... Kathleen Kennedy announcing Darth Vader. I I always held back on the possibility of having Vader in a movie. I always secretly wanted it because 
what I've always believed in is that and what people sort of been debating about for years now is the pieces of dialogue that these two have, especially in A New Hope. You know, when I left you, I was but a learner. Now I am the master. Um, and things like, I felt something, a presence I've not felt since. You know, and he doesn't really complete the line. There's also that line in, Re in Return of the Jedi where he says to Luke, Obi-Wan once thought as you did, you know. And I also thought Obi-Wan's state of mind in Revenge of the Sith at the end of Revenge of the Sith where he... He's like, you are the chosen one. You are my brother. You know, he truly believes he's lost a friend there and that he was meant for something better, for something good. To a new hope and even Return of the Jedi, oh, he's more machine now, the man. Luke, kill your dad. He's got to go. Mm. Like, irredeemable. You can't save him. I, you know, I think Obi-Wan is wrong a lot of the time in the original trilogy where he sees Anakin as irredeemable. Mm. It's obviously Luke that gets through him to the end. Like, well, for me, that doesn't line up. I feel as if there needs to be another story, another encounter between these two for Obi-Wan to truly get to that point of like, nope, he is gone. I can't help him anymore. You know, and I don't think that lines up with the end of Revenge of the Sith. You know, I think there's there and the moment where he finds out he's alive, he's out there, he encounters him. I don't think Obi-Wan as a character would just let that pass. If he had that one opportunity to maybe get through to Anakin one last time to maybe try to bring him back, I think he would take it. That's what excites me about the prospect. Abs Do I want to see them clash lightsabers? Absolutely. But I want to see a philosophical discussion between these two characters while they're clashing lightsabers. You know, that that's what gets me really excited about this series and the potential of it. I need to maybe keep that in check at times as, as a fan. Um, and on the, you know, you may you bring a very valid point, uh, Niall, about, you know, having to watch all these animated shows and comic book, read comic books and books and all this expanded stuff. I felt most of the time, not all the time with Star Wars, that they do what I like to refer to as tip of the iceberg storytelling, where it's embedded into the first film where Obi-Wan Obi Kenobi is saying the Clone Wars, you know, everyone, what's the Clone Wars, you know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't, you don't have to have watched the Clone Wars or the prequels to vibe with that film. It's just a little textual ruin that later down the line, when George eventually told that story, you can go and explore it. And I think Star Wars has done that quite well, where they maybe name drop something where fans will be like, oh my God, what's that? That's so cool. We can find about it later, but it's not central to the story we're telling right now. Uh, and I felt as if recently with Mandalorian, it's towed that fine line. Uh, for example, somebody like the bringing in Bo-Katan, I, I felt they did that very well, where you didn't need to have watched The Clone Wars to understand her deal. But I would agree that maybe Cad Bane in Book of Boba Fett, while I really did enjoy, and that's because I'm a big fan of The Clone Wars, I can't take myself out of that. I can understand of someone who hasn't watched The Clone Wars going, uh, what's his deal? Why is he here? Sort of thing. So yeah, but I, I hope that with the Inquisitors, they just go, oh, these are just like Vader's lackeys, whatever. You know, you don't have to have watched Rebels to understand who these people are. Evil dudes with a red lightsaber. Like, you know, that's, for me, I hope they just go, these are just evil people, you know? You can you get the gist of who these people are. They're, they're the Bond henchmen. It's like I said at the beginning, yeah. they're the Bond henchmen. Well, it does seem like one of them is going to be a very major character, this Reva. Reva. Yes. Reva, which I'm so excited about because... And I will say it, 
I'm normally quite positive about a lot of Star Wars stuff. The Inquisitors is something I'm not really keen on. Never really vibed with them in Rebels or any other stuff. Because for me, I think it takes away from the power of the two Sith in a way. Or in more an effect of the power of this, the rumor of this dark warrior with a red blade that goes out at time. You know, Vader's not a common name within the Empire or the Rebel, or, you know, the galaxy. He's like this legend myth that the, vampire, the em Empress sends out at times. And I think having a bunch of other people running around with red blades kind of takes away from them. Mm. I think it kind of helps spread the, the cult of it a bit because they can only be so many places. And I, I, get, I get why, yeah. I love the idea to get to a point where it's like, if there are Jedi to hunt, it's like, well, we're above this. Like, screw the Jedi. But I get what you mean. I think the only thing, and I'll just pose a, a really quick question to the two of you in terms of, like, cast, is uh, what do you guys think about, like, some kind of Liam Neeson in there? I could see, like, a voice line, you know, some kind of communication. It just feels like I don't think they could resist doing it, and it's something stories around this era have played into especially uh, claudia gray has written some mm -hmm. i i think oh i think it's inevitable i'm not gonna say a hundred percent it's happening but i think it's one of those it's very much like luke skywalker at the end of mandalorian season two where i was a bit when you know you're thinking about oh who's this jedi that grogu's called out to we were all like, it's got to be Luke, right? But we were all a bit too scared to <laughs> say it. Like, no way are they actually going to do that. You know, are they actually going to do Luke Skywalker sort of thing? But it made sense. So I I'm feeling like that with Qui-Gon. I'm like, it makes sense for him to pop up. And in a way, you don't have to have watched The Clone Wars because Yoda says yeah. it in Revenge of the Sith. You know, I've got some training. You can speak to your old master Qui-Gon. It can work. It can work. And it could, if there is a bit where they communicate, it could feel like kind of an emotional or spiritual journey for Obi-Wan if it's like in the last episode, if he needs to, if he's kind of lost his way a bit and that's a sign of him finding his way back with the Force. But I digress. I'm sorry, Rob. I just got excited there. But what, what do you think? No, no, I was going to, I was going to basically say the same thing is that I like the idea that Obi-Wan could be losing his way, you know, after having such a traumatic event in his life and the only person that can bring him back really is um is Qui-Gon and I, I really like that idea. Um and also it will make lots and lots of money. Um <laughs> so um and you'll get a new pop. Um and you'll get new action figures. So Well well no <laughs> technically you can really only hear his voice because he, he never if it, that that I would have actually. If you had Force Ghost Qui Gon, I'd be like, "Excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> that that that's that's not supposed to happen." <laughs> unless you know, unless just... they do it like Han Solo and Rise of Skywalker, which oh. I thought was pretty cool. The like weird that was, memory yeah, that mix. Was, yeah, pretty... that's a, that's a, uh... I think with COVID, he might not be there. That's why I'm like thinking like voice line. That makes sense. Yeah, did voice, it for Rise yeah. of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think yeah. I think there is plenty of a chance that that Qui Gon will make an appearance um i know this might sound crazy but uh, i know this i'm gonna get lots of slack for this but i i i i i would love it if jar jar somehow made an appearance i know that's gonna be really bizarre and so out of place but imagine if you just had like old man jar jar like at a bar and just like 
I'm the one that fucked up. I gave the Emperor emergency powers. Emergency powers, yeah. I fucked the galaxy. And he's there drinking... Smoking death he's, he's drinking <laughs> writer's tears. There we go. He's drinking some whiskey, some Irish whiskey. Don't know why there'd be Irish whiskey in Star Wars, but you never know. And he's just like, fucked. I fucked it all up, man. It's all on me. And then Obi-Wan and him actually drink. They have a drinking like match. And they're like, do you know what? I'm the one. You know, they're doing like a big drink off. Like, I'm the one that fucked up, not you. And I, they hey. wouldn't swear, obviously. So. I wanna. I also want to say, up. yeah, you <laughs> fucked up. I fucked up. <laughs> I also wanna. I want this show to basically confirm what I've been saying this entire time that Obi Wan has a drinking problem. Mm. Also, he has a death sticks I, oh, problem. I, I've genuinely always. Well, maybe not a problem, but you know, he likes a yeah. drink. I like a drink. Yeah. No, but you know, that I, I just there's something about Obi Wan. Like even in you know. When we first meet him, he knows how to handle himself in the cantina. You get you get the vibe that he's been there before. You know, there's a there's a few rough around the edges around here. You know that sort of thing. In episode two, you know, in Coruscant, he's like, "Where are you going, master? For a drink?" You know, I know this place. I, I've been here before. I had a couple of I've had a couple of martinis in this joint. Uh, so I want to see <laughs> Obi Wan like be drunk in this show or something like drowning <laughs> his sorrows. That would be fucking I, w- I want to see him like re- I want to see him suffer like you know Superman three like oh, taking back shots. Like. Do you know what? You know that scene in um I know I've come back to the Bond movies quite often, but like that scene in Skyfall when Bond is playing mm. the Scorpion game with the the drink. I would love yes. that, but instead it's like a Jedi mind trick thing. He's like fucking with people. He's like I better know what you're thinking. Well, no, I think he's going to be actually... Well, that, well, he can't use the Force. He's, like, hiding, isn't he? Yeah, so, but I, he could still do a Jedi mind trick. I think it'd just be really yeah, funny maybe. if he got someone, we'll like, see. to be, like... If someone really pissed him off and he just, like, got him... Like, did a mind trick on him uh, just to fuck him off and he's, like, dancing on the stage with, I don't know, some cantina band get, uh, get, get, uh, groupies or something. or something like that, yeah. Yeah, just you to... Do you know what I hate about what the two of you are saying? It's because I, it's because no, it's because I know this show happens. What a sentence! Do you know what I hate about what you're saying? No. He's like, because you're describing me, <laughs> partially, partially, but also because I know this has to be a limited series, and I would watch ten seasons of what you're describing. It's <laughs> Cheers in Moss Eisley. Basically, basically like, yeah. can you imagine? Yeah. That, that's where he got the line you'll never find a more wretched scum of- <laughs> we must be yeah. cautious uh- <laughs> the, yeah you gotta be cautious and please please I <laughs> I want the return of Dexter Jester oh yes oh. Obi-Wan, oh, Obi-Wan. Yeah. come on yeah. come on Give the give the this is the Luke Skywalker I want yeah. I want Dexter Jester to come back do you want a cup of Java juice? juice. Oh yes, 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 oh, yes, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. I, th- I think that would mean something very different on Tatooine. <laughs> I reckon there's a bit of whiskey in that Java juice. You oh, know what absolutely. I mean? It's like an what? Irish coffee in space. That's what they serve oh, in the dining. Love it. Oh. Mm. And also, and like back to the more serious topic among the, <laughs> the du- Star Wars. The, it's, it's, well, this is a serious <laughs> topic. The, the serious about? side of Star Wars, not the silly side. Uh, with the, the the rematch of the century, mm. I also feel as if um, Vader has to win this one. Of course, yeah, uh, because you know Obi Wan won in Revenge of the Sith, and he very much wins in A New Hope. So Vader needs a win, and they also has to basically enforce the idea of like he's totally in the dark side. 
irredeemable monster. I know? think it would be a classic case of he wins the battle but doesn't quite win the war just yet. I think it would be yeah. one of those scenarios. Like, similar to... You were talking about Inquisitors. Um, I think we're going to have something quite similar to the Fallen Order um, Jedi game, where we're going to have some sort yep. of maybe Inquisitor turn, who knows? But also just the idea that you've just got this almighty, powerful Sith Lord Darth Vader lurking in the background. Yeah, yeah. And you could do some... I mean, I've always thought that the um presence of Darth Vader as a as a classic horror movie character anyway so i would i would love it if they treated him the same way this time around and i and i never even thought about this but since you mentioned it i would love it if the twist was there's that obi-wan didn't realize that he killed anakin i think that was is a, is a wonderful twist in itself and him not realizing that this whoever this Darth Vader bloke is um that's what i mean yeah i think that's i think that's really cool um although i do think if I'm not mistaken, he does say Lord Vader in the hologram thing. So he does technically know that that's Lord Vader, but I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't realize that's the thing. Hey man, it's been, a, it's been a few years on the desert. Yeah. And so. apparently he's an alcoholic. Now, yeah, yeah. He's an alcoholic, says, so. of course. He's an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else are you going to do with your time there on mm. Tatooine? All he's doing, like, you know, he's not going to spend all day looking at Luke. He's going to go off to the cantina. Mm. Calls himself yeah. Lord Vader now. Yeah. I knew him when he was a little shit in the pod race. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I had a the droid. Gungan was worth more than him. Droid? That's my audition. <laughs> I never had a droid. Get out of my face. Yeah, get out of my face. I never had a droid. <laughs> Goddamn yeah. droid. Misa, fuck off, why don't you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would watch a show, goddammit. <laughs> oh, we need to convince uh, Disney to uh, oh. not make it a limited series so we can write at least season two. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Obi-Wan's drinking adventures. Right, so uh, Niall, <laughs> why, don't, why don't you take us out of here then? <laughs> can, I, can I tell one last quick anecdote? Because I forgot it earlier and it's just... Go on. Uh, it's a nice little thing. I, I think I told my story earlier about seeing Revenge of the Sith in that new cinema with my dad. Mm. And that became my favorite cinema. And it still is to this day. And I worked there for a short time. I got a job as a projectionist. And I, I first went to this place when it opened in 2005. Revenge of the Sith was one of the first films it ever showed. Mm. The first thing I see when I enter the projection room, they still had the full-size banner for Revenge of the Sith, the one with Anakin and the cape looking like vader oh yeah yeah and i had a moment i I had a moment of just where i was in life at that point of like loving a film so much and then like becoming a projectionist i noticed like a very like kind of wanky personal story but i was just like no 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 no, mate that's That's, star wars man that's that's great that's great that's that's the power of star wars man that's the power of storytelling i mean first of all you shouldn't have said wanky you should have said orgasmic to really carry on with the symmetry and poetry (laughs) carry on with the theme yeah sorry i I I, I had a bit of a lava flow moment (laughs) 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 well played it well rhymes it's like poetry yeah it rhymes (laughs) it's gonna be great it's gonna be great it's gonna be great (laughs) so uh, so yeah um if everyone enjoyed that kind of little heartfelt story well don't worry i'm on twitter making mostly like snarky jokes about the series i absolutely love <laughs> and uh, that's uh, at niall the glynn on twitter and i'm also writing for the moment for cinerama a great film site and yeah hoping to have a piece up on a very unexpected road uh what is it road trip movie soon so look forward to that uh, Rob, how about yourself? Uh, thank you for coming on the show and making your debut on yeah. the Monday Lawrence. Oh, lads, it's, it's been fun. it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and I think we unintentionally pitched 
Lucasfilm <laughs> a new Obi-Wan Kenobi adventure where do you know what fuck it we'll we'll do the Jar Jar Binks series let's not do the Obi-Wan like drinking series we'll do this the Jar Jar drinking do series the, the Jar Jar redemption oh, story absolutely Bring back Ahmed Best. I See? think the, the Jar Jar series should be the Frasier to the Obi-Wan Kenobi Cheers. Yes. I think it should all lead off. Absolutely. I take everything I back I said about interconnected stories. I want this. And he has to have a brother as well. <laughs> Except he's not called Niles. He's called... Ni- Gills. <laughs> Gills. <laughs> oh, my headphones fell off then. Oh, that's, that's genius. Gills. Gil Gills. <laughs> Gil Gills. <laughs> <laughs> Gil Gil Pinks. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, oh God. That's wonderful. We're doing such a good job wrapping uh, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. It's classic, been classic. yeah, it's been an absolute blast. Um what can I say? And um People can find me on Twitter at, at Rob Ailing Film and on Instagram at, at Rob Ailing. Um I'm best known for being a writer and director. Um, I made a Batman fan film called Living in Crime Alley, which you can check out on YouTube. Um, I also Haven't heard of it. Ooh. I know it's uh, it's a small indie thing. It's it's done all right. Um, and yeah, I've uh, done some other films as well. But the thing that I actually am plugging this time around is in a few weeks uh, from now. So when this goes out, it'll be actually the following uh, Tuesday. Um, I'm actually making my directorial uh, feature credit debut in a film called The Impact. Uh, which is a um, a feature film featuring um, many short films combined together to be an anthology feature film about um, essentially the end of the world. Um, A meteorite is about to crash land on Earth and it's the final two hours on Earth and we explore not one, but over 50 storylines in one Oh, you Adam film. McKay? Yes, I'm Adam McKay. Uh, <laughs> yes, we'll go with that. I Michael Bay. And, oh my! Oh, oh no! Oh, the God. size of Texas. Oh God, I've got the beard of George <laughs> Lucas. Um, but I, I quite like my beard, to be fair. Um, and he is called George, to be fair. He is called George. Um, to confirm to um, listeners, it's a beautiful beard. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Beard. Jake has a beautiful beard, too. That's yeah. alright. It's alright. It's, right. it's not I do quite not. as good it's, as It's it. great. It's going to be great. It's great. It's great. It's great. Um, but yeah, that is actually premiering as well on the in the cinema where I saw Revenge of the Sith, which is at the Genesis oh. Cinema in East London, Mile End. And the tickets are still on sale, so you can come along to that. And it's a big red carpet affair as well, so it's all swanky, you know, with uh, bow ties and black suits and, you know, the works. And I can't wait uh, to attend. And I think it's going to be a really special moment because it's not just... Um, the the ending of this film which went through pretty much a production nightmare logistically and everything else with covid and whatnot and of course the film being kind of the end of a world film and ironically we finished the whole film after just coming out of a very dramatic time but it's a fantasy adventure drama all of these different things but for me it is also a big stepping stone into what is going to be uh, hopefully a big progression in my career as a as a director, not just in terms of short films, but in feature films. So, yeah, watch the space. That's watch amazing. I hope I hope that does like for you so much more success than the damage this recording will do. <laughs> <laughs> so, what happens when you j- jump on Monday mornings? <laughs> so, we're sorry, Rob. We're sorry. Uh, uh, I kind of feel sad now because, like, you've both got like this like full circle journey with the cinemas you've seen revenge of the sith in and like 
I'm just thinking about mine, like the cinema I watched it in and all a lot of other films like growing up, Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. That that cinema's no more. That got trampled oh. down oh. A few, quite a few years back. And I'm like, man, that was a good cinema. It was an old school cinema as well. Like, uh, But that no longer exists. So I don't have one of those stories. However, you can keep, uh, catch me crying about it on Twitter. <laughs> you can catch me um, on at Sweaty Jake. And you can also catch uh, me on Letterboxd as well, at Jake Hart. And uh, podcast, Capes, Cows, and Masses on hiatus in a minute. But Watch This Space will be coming back soon with a brand new show. So... Watch out for that. Ooh. And yeah, Niall, where, where can the people find uh, the show, The Monday Lorians? Oh, crap. Amazing. Sorry, I realized I accidentally closed the document because I, f- I forgot about the end bit. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> oh, sorry, everyone. Just well, keep I'll that. Just keep out. the oh, crap. That's amazing. Just, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> we'll end on the oh, crap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So you can find the Monday Lorians on Twitter at Monday Lorians, and whether you use Anchor, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and follow us on there. If you're an Apple, leave us a rating and a review. It helps us all go up in the rankings. I think you can do it on Spotify too. I'm one of those people who who doesn't have Spotify, so I'm not sure the ins and outs. Um, yeah, so I think that's everywhere you can find us. We'll uh, we'll be back next week. Discussing the first mm. two episodes of Obi Wan Kenobi. Very excited for that. But until then, this is the way. This is the way. May the force be with you always. Mm-hmm.